Welcome back to the Video Store Junkies podcast, a podcast about movies and the experience of watching them. It's Friday night and we are back in the video store as always. And tonight we're browsing maybe the sci-fi section, maybe the kids section. Uh, it's actually a little unclear for this one for reasons that we'll be discussing in this episode. Because tonight we're doing a little bit of a follow-up on our most popular episode of last year, Super Mario Brothers. It was a milestone in the history of film as the first live-action video game to movie adaptation. So of course we started wondering about the second ever video game adaptation. 2007. Los Angeles. The city has changed. Cops rule the day. Punks rule the night. And one man wants to rule them all. There's only one thing he needs to succeed. This is only half. Find me the other half now. And look who's got it. It magnifies the power inside you. This half gives power over the body. All right, so where's the on button? Now, two brothers will stop at nothing to protect their half. Look out! And a madman will stop at nothing to possess it. You're gonna love this. That's right, tonight we're talking about 1994's Double Dragon. We thought that Super Mario Brothers had an odd charm that endures to this day, but what about James Yukich's adaptation of the hit arcade beat-em-up game? Tonight we'll be discussing the history of the film, the people behind it, and the merits of everything from the script to the performances to some of the best hairstyling in film history. I'm Zachary Edgerton, and when I'm not beating people up in the street with trash cans and lead pipes, I can be found hosting this podcast with a panel of film experts. So before we dive into this slugfest, let's meet everyone and see what kind of a previous experience they had with this film, and maybe also the video games. Now, Bill, I've heard people call you a joystick jockey a lot, so I assume that means that you played a lot of arcade games back in your day. Uh, can you introduce yourself and just give us kind of a baseline for your history with this movie and maybe maybe the video game as well? You know, did you ever play it? Were you familiar with it at all? <laughs> joystick jockey. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know why yeah. they call me that. Uh, I'm Bill Mulligan. I'm a uh, high school teacher, writer, indie filmmaker, do stuff. And yeah, listen, back in the day. So look, I'm 61 years old. No hiding it. The math checks out. You know, I, I saw video games actually happen. I, I remember going to the beach on senior skip day. We actually skipped right out of town and went to the beach to play um, pinball, which is really what you did back then. And now there were suddenly video games, which were really, really cool. Now, they were crude as F. I mean, just terrible. But they were great, just wonderful. It was like the future. Forget pinball. So I, I loved I loved video games and I was there, you know, college and everything. That's when it really started coming out. Classics like Defender and Red Baron and of course the Pac-Man and the stuff and just all kind. You know, Double Dragon, I think, was a little bit after I had to like go to grad school and grow up and not feed as many quarters. Plus by then I had ColecoVision, so I could just do it on my own time. So I was never a huge was never a big double dragon fan it was kind of a simple concept just punching things i i like that but it never occurred to me that this was good fodder for a movie because there's no story in double dragon that i recall i just remember punching guys in the face until they punched me in the face so many times that i fell over actually i think that was just that was just real life but, but the say, video game, game. <laughs> yeah yeah i think I, I don't know yeah there was a lot of punches in the face so my relationship with this movie is uh, 
I, I never watched this movie until you guys made me watch it this week. I, I guess I, it wasn't in the kitty section. It wasn't in the sci-fi section. I'm guessing it was in the drama section right between Howard's End and Remains of the Day, and I just must have skipped right over it. Um, so I never saw this movie. It, nothing I heard about it made me think that this was the one, the one video game adaptation that got it right. Because what's there to get right? It's about two guys who punch other people in the face. Um, and so my relationship with it is, uh, I feel kind of, my relationship with this movie is kind of like a guy who is minding his own business and his friends fix him up with someone that they think he's going to like. And we have nothing in common and nothing to talk about. <laughs> I think, but I think now that the date's over and, and like, <laughs> she's left, she went to the bathroom and never came back. Now we're going to talk about her. <laughs> yeah, to, to be fair, I, I was the one who said we should do this one, and I, I was basically fixing y'all up with someone who I had dated, and it was so miserable, I was like, okay, now I have to put other people oh, through that misery. thanks for sharing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. except for, uh, well, no spoiler alert, but apparently Paul has uh, taken a fondness to uh, to this particular date, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Fooled around so, and fell in love, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how about uh, Renee? How about you? I, 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 know, I know that you are actually a bit of a gamer, so uh, I was, I'm kind of curious if you had any familiarity with the, the game or the uh, the movie upon it, uh, which it is based. The game, you know, only from you know being around arcades as a kid. Uh, there was one like at the bowling alley that we went to like every week, and there was one at the mall that we were at all the time. So I know it was there. I've, I've feel like I remember this being a fairly good one because there weren't too many games that you could do two player so it was a good mm. game you could like actually play with your friends yeah I mean other than that I mean you know it was no Karatika eh <laughs> eh sorry I don't know if yeah. anybody will ever remember that nope. but probably one person yeah. got that and was like ah Karatika yeah um, yeah Woo. Okay. That was great. <laughs> that was a great game that impacted my childhood. Anyhow, um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of, you know, it. in my brain, it was just, you know, like Double Dragon just kind of became one of those names, you know, like a kind of a household name in a way. The movie, oh my gosh, I don't know if I ever saw the movie before tonight. You know, I, it might have been on in passing just from the people that I hung out with. But, yeah, I don't I don't distinctly remember ever watching it. <laughs> cool. And by the way, if anyone knows who owns the right to Karateka, please get in contact with us because <laughs> Renee would like to buy those rights and make make her own uh, video game movie. I would. So last but not least, Paul, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us about your history with the film. And also, you are contractually obligated every time we talk about a video game movie to kind of stuff your face with sugary cereal as we're doing it so also let us know what kind of cereal you're eating okay well i'm i'm paul cardulo and uh let's i'll take you back back to the the heady days of 1987 uh, early 1987 i'm a sophomore at school and there aren't many video games in the in the student union there's just like two or three really just next to like the little booth where you bought discount uh movie tickets and I was back there because um, I think the ATM was in there, too. I can't remember. Anyway, I was in there and uh, saw Double Dragon. I said, this is kind of interesting because mo most video games I remember at that point had been things that were just basically like uh, infinite vertical scrollers like like yeah, Galaga and, and uh, you know, Space Invaders. And you had some of the horizontal scrollers like like uh, Defender, but nothing changed. You just had more and more shit come at you. This was... It it, it 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 did change. You went along. There were different neighborhoods. There were different people. You felt like there was something, not much of a story, you know, but still something was kind of progressing in it. And you felt like there was, it was like, wow, it changes every time. 
So I'd start playing it, and then uh, my buddy Daniel Riggs came by, and he's like, wow, what you doing? I'm like this, and it looked cool. Check it out. And then so I think I fed probably my week's, the the week's uh, amount of money that I had saved that I was going to, you know, spend on, I don't know, going to Chuck E. G's, and and because uh, you're a poor Brooks college student, you could get a, um, go to the buffet, they're really cheap. Anyway, fed <laughs> that in, so Daniel and I could play it, and we just, I think, I don't know if we even played it to the end, but we spent a long freaking time playing that, because every time we ran out of lives, we dropped in more quarters, it was a blast. And, and then I never really played any other Double Dragon game again, um, didn't even think about the movie, uh, till uh, you guys brought this up. And so a couple weeks ago, uh, I said, okay, well, much like, you know, this is this is geared towards, you know, probably 12-year-old kids who are hopped up on breakfast sugar, sugary breakfast cereal, <laughs> like like uh, when we watched Super Mario Brothers. So I made sure I went out and got myself Wendy's Frosty Flavored Cereal. Now this stuff, holy crap, at least the box I had in the first box, has is like more than 50% marshmallows. It is it is terrifying how sugary it is. It was no, so sugary. Oh. It, what? Can I ask by Wendy's? Is this the fast food franchise? Wendy's yes. has their own cereal. It's a it's supposed to taste like a Wendy's Frosty. It doesn't, but um, yeah, it's <laughs> chocolatey. It's basically they look like giant cocoa puffs, uh, and uh, and like like I said, the old school Count Chocula marshmallows that look like little BBs, um. And uh, holy shit, it's at least fifty percent marshmallows. Wow. It's so sweet. Even my wife's like, uh, I don't know if I could eat this. And that's weird because Wendy's used to brand themselves as being like a healthier alternative to the other fast food places. And this sounds <laughs> like something that would be banned in a world that actually cared about children. Oh yeah, no, no, this shit's like I'm zooming on this crap right now. So anyway, I, I had a couple big bowls of that. Oh, go ahead, wait. Yeah. No, I was gonna say that that was you're thinking of back in the '80s when they had like a salad bar, and then people, and then they realized yeah. that no one wants to eat a salad bar at a fast food restaurant. And they gave that up pretty quickly. So sorry. Uh, go ahead. Paul. So anyway, so yeah, so anyway, I got hopped up on it. Watched the movie. Was pleasantly surprised. It's not a good buy movie by any stretch of means, but it actually does have some. Uh, there, there's actually some good points to it, believe it or not. And uh, and then so to start this i packed a giant bowl of uh, of windy cereal right before we started recording and um and that i, I did have a salad for for dinner and i did have oh. um but i also had roasted uh, beets sweet potatoes and uh um and parsnips coated in uh with uh, glazed with uh, orange juice and um maple syrup so there's probably some sugar from that too so uh like i said much like mrs howell in the gilligan's island episode where she eats beets grown from irradiated seeds and zooms all over the island i'm uh, going pretty fast right now but yeah i think yeah. i just talked for the yeah. next 50 minutes and um yeah so zach what do you think yeah i i couldn't i couldn't tell you were hopped up on sugar by the way it's, it's i i think this is going to be the first episode where i actually have to like go back and like slow down some of the some of this speech to so that it's actually distinguishable but that's fine i'll i'll fix that up uh, yeah, so I, just I call guess, me John Yoshida. That was his name. <laughs> when was his name? Wasn't that the guy? Who, who Bill? Help it? me out here. What the, the guy? The top fast talking guy was it? John Yoshida, is that the Micro Machines guy. Oh, oh yeah, I remember that guy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I should also mention that this podcast is not sponsored by Wendy's or their cereal, but uh, we definitely mm. could be. So, Wendy's, if you're listening, if you work at the cereal company, you know, send us a few boxes and we'll plug you every single episode. But anyways, it sounds like I'm actually the only person that's ever seen this movie before, like, the last week or so. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. So, yeah, I remember back when I was a kid, I mean, I remember the kind of Double Dragon IP. I think my first memory of the the actual game is going over to my friend's house for, like, a sleepover. He had an NES. I did not because my parents did not let me have video games as a kid. But one of the games that he had was Double Dragon, and I was definitely kind of uh, very, very taken with it. Obviously, you got to run around beating people up. So 
Hmm. That was very exciting. And then I remember watching this movie. I don't think I, I don't I didn't have like a huge affinity for the game, so I don't think I really cared about like the film as an adaptation, but I do remember watching this, you know, probably pretty soon after it came out, because I was like ten or eleven years old when this came out. So I remember watching it as a kid. I actually remember being kind of terrified by certain parts, but we'll we'll talk about that. But uh, I, I think I remember as a kid being kind of confused by the kind of overall quality of the film. <laughs> and, we'll, and I still am as an adult, actually. So it's very appropriate. So, yeah, that's my kind of my, my history with Double Dragon. And I should also mention that we there are actually a couple of other kind of subcategories. I mentioned this is kind of our second episode on a video game adata- adaptation, which we might keep doing if people like them. So stay tuned because there was actually uh, there was actually one that came out just a month after this was the third one. But uh, we are also uh, that would be Street Fighter. Yeah, they're actually this is the only the second one by like a month, I believe. So we actually kind of did this on one of our earlier episodes, The Sisterhood, where this is a film that was set in the future when it was filmed. And the future, <laughs> that future is now past. Obviously, it was set in the, the far-flung future of 2007. So it's also part of a little kind of a sub-miniseries that I'm calling Tomorrows of Yesterday, where we talk about movies that were set in the future when they were filmed and talk, just kind of talk about, like, what did they get right? Did they actually predict anything accurately or were they just kind of crazy and inaccurate? And maybe this is also a video store junkyard episode, but we'll see because yeah. we, we usually talk about the movie and then pass judgment. And I know that Paul Paul's ready to defend this one. So we'll see if it actually gets lumped in with uh, our previous video store junkyard episodes. So anyways, let's move on to the film. A couple stats on this one. Release date, November 4th, 1994. Budget for this one was probably about, well... The the I think the officially like reported budget that I could find was seven point eight million. Although James Yukich, the director, I I got I read an interview with him that said that uh, he said that maybe the film actually ended up costing closer to twelve million by the time like the filming was done because apparently they went over a little bit. So box office for this one was uh, domestic box office was two point three million and worldwide <laughs> was four point one million, which I believe Ooh. is about a tenth of what the Super Mario Brothers made. So. And that was a, I think that one was a bomb as well. Uh, home video sales couldn't actually find anything on like when it was initially released. However, there was a Blu-ray put out a few years ago, which uh, the numbers I found in that it was about 1.3 million dollars in Blu-ray sales. So overall, not a very successful film. Uh, something we've never done before, but uh, I thought it'd be kind of fun. Taglines for this oh, one. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, this so one has. I, uh, listen, oh, yeah. I love taglines. We do taglines on decades of horror. Oh, nice. And the thing you quickly realize is th- I, I, I went into the wrong business <laughs> because apparently what you need to do to be able to do taglines is just have a pulse and speak the English language, yes. not necessarily terribly well. These, <laughs> they are wretched. And you just have a feeling like a bunch of old guys smoking stinky cigars, playing cards, and somebody breaks in and is like, we need the taglines for humanoids from the deep and we need them now. And you're like, Eh, imagine your every fear a reality. We've already used that seven <laughs> times. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. And they, yeah. they just spit out these. They're terrible. So I, I'm looking forward to what what they thought would get people put asses in the seats for this one. Yeah, it, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that though, Bill, because the reason I decided to start doing this was I was looking at some of the posters and I just said these are the most uncreative taglines in the history <laughs> of the film industry. Yeah. 
And so we have to talk about how bad they are. So these are all the ones I think that these were all kind of used kind of in promotion when the film was released because I found them on like posters and like VHS tapes from. from okay, without, without even looking at them, is there yeah. some variation of it's twice the dot, 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 whatever, you know, <laughs> surprisingly not actually. Oh, that one, wow. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, so so here so I found I found five of them. And here they are. Uh, first one is evil has just met its match. Probably the most generic tagline you could ever wow. throw on a movie. Wow. Yeah. 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 Uh, second, <laughs> second is feel the power, live the legend. It's the ultimate kick. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, no. okay. I should actually. I, I feel like we should do like a trivia thing where I actually find taglines for a bunch of these bad action films and we got to pick. And we have to figure yeah. out which movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you will lose like every that. single time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> third tagline. Well, do, you ever, do, you ever, do you ever feeling like sometimes they just generate a list of taglines oh. separate from movies and then say, "Oh yes. yeah, that one yes, works." They, yeah, they yeah. reach into a hat and they pull out a tagline. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, evil has yeah. met its match. Is almost every movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, third up, we have power, justice, darkness, light. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I was uh, one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, third, uh, sorry, fourth, we got two halves of an ancient puzzle are the only hope. Probably the most, the not only the most generic, but also the most the most boring tagline I've ever heard. Yeah, and then at least it does only apply to this movie. Yeah, exactly. Every other movie where it's, every other movie where you have to find two parts of something yeah. that someone someone decided no oh, i can't let this fall into enemy hands so i'm going to put this incredible amount of power into something and then i'm going to break it in half yeah maybe <laughs> it was a bad idea to do that in the first place you know <laughs> yeah unless you're unless you're sauron but that was the whole point i mean he wanted to put evil into the rings but everyone else it's always like the kindly grandfather who's like oh no so and so is going to get the power and will do badness so i've got to like concentrate all this power into something small that you could put in your pocket no that's a really bad idea it's true it's true Just throwing it out there as a suggestion for anyone who finds himself in that position maybe yeah maybe yeah. he didn't really have you know good intentions when he did it you know, maybe maybe there was intended to actually be used as a weapon. And then the, this is just the lie that they are telling themselves. That now, here's so. what you do. Here's what you do. You claim that you put you, you make some really obvious thing like this giant hunk of gold that's been taken in half. Looks like something they'd give Tom Cruise at a Scientology convention. <laughs> really big and obvious and gaudy. But that's not where you put it. You put it into something that looks kind of like a rock or whatever. And, you know, while all the bad guys are running around trying to find the two pieces of this thing, and then they find it, and they're just like, Wonder Twin powers activate, and they keep clunking them together, and absolutely nothing happens, you know, while you're, you're like, scurrying away with your rock. I just I just think that would be a better plan. But then, of course, there wouldn't be this great movie, so yeah, I was gonna, what do I, was I know? say? Then this masterpiece never would have happened. Yeah. <laughs> okay, final tagline, and this was, I thought, pretty interesting, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But final tagline for this one is, it's not just a game anymore. Which, uh, if, I don't know, we didn't do taglines for Super Mario Brothers, so you may not be aware of this, but I think the primary tagline for Super Mario Brothers was, this ain't no game. So I was like, mm. hmm, very creative. Very creative. This is not the thing that you love that got us to make this movie in the first place. This is something <laughs> else. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Um, Two million right. dollars, box office, huh? Mm. Yeah, oh, mm. man, yeah. 
I mean, you know, that was in 1994, so that's like $3 million in today's money. You notice that the Harry Potter movies didn't do that. They didn't, Their taglines weren't like, this ain't that shit that was in the books. <laughs> this ain't no book. <laughs> We're totally yeah, off the reservation. We're just making it up as we go along. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I would I would love to see the, the like the same people who did the taglines for Double oh, Dragon no. write the taglines for like multi million dollar movies. Mm-hmm. Like the uh, next Iron Man movie, like he's a man, but he's also an Iron Man. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's talk let's talk about a little bit about about the background of this film, and then we'll get into our, our actual discussion uh, about the movie. So, just a little IP background on this one, since we're talking about a video game adaptation. And we kind of discussed a little bit our experience with the arcade games and whatnot. So uh, the first Double Dragon game was actually released in 1987 in arcades. The game was created by Technos Japan. And if you don't know, for some reason, if you're listening to this episode and you have no idea what Double Dragon actually is, it's basically a side-scrolling beat-em-up where you kind of, you know, you could play one of the brothers and you got to could just walk along the street and beat guys up. I think I think in the first one you could pick items up. I don't know. I know this the like the... Uh, the later installments, you could pick things up and beat people up with it. So that was kind of a whole thing in like the 80s and 90s. There were a lot of games very similar to this. And then we got uh, Double Dragon 2 The Revenge was released in 1988, hot on the heels of the first one. Double Dragon 3 yeah. The Rosetta Stone was released in 1993. This is actually, cool. yeah, this is a series that's kind of petered out, I think, because it's been, you know, a lot of these other series that were adapted pretty early are still still around, but this one kind of disappeared probably because this whole like beat em up genre has it's been kind of it's uh, evolved and kind of superseded this original now, were the were the sequels just basically you're beating up different people but the play and yeah. everything is the, yeah uh, i think i think the sequels i mean the 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 uh the like the graphics are actually pretty improved like i went i mm-hmm. i didn't uh i was gonna play them but i was like eh, i don't really have time but i went and watched some like meme playthroughs on youtube and yeah i mean there's not really a whole lot of uh there's not it's not a you know a quantum leap between the first one and the second one and the third one so yeah uh, the NES version of the original game was released in 1988 and that was a huge hit and then also in terms of like other adaptations there was actually an animated series of this which was released in 1993 and oh uh, damn ran, yeah ran for hmm. two seasons and lasted 26 episodes so it, it didn't have Captain Lou Albano in it did it I don't believe so no oh shit. I did not no, that's did not, probably why we don't remember it no. yeah. <laughs> So I didn't I didn't take any notes, but uh, on that one, but I'm pretty sure it did not. Uh, background on the movie itself. So there are a couple people that were kind of instrumental in getting this movie made. The I think the so let's actually talk about some of the producers. And this is this is the part of the podcast where I'm just going to talk for a few minutes. Guys, feel free to interrupt <laughs> me. If there are any questions or comments? So producers Don Murphy and Jane Hampshire. Oh my god. <laughs> What? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which one of those names just elicited that response? <laughs> I think I think Don wait, am I thinking of the right yeah, Don Murphy, I think, called me a bad name once. What? Um, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're, are you talking about the Don Murphy who would go on to produce all of these Transformers movies? I, I think it, did he uh, also do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen yes, and stuff? Yes. Oh my uh, okay, god. Yeah, oh, my oh god. tell us okay, the story. So, so this guy, this guy is incredibly rich and, and really famous, and should have more things to do with his time than argue with a bunch of ignorant randos on the internet. But that's exactly what he liked to do, and 
he was, he, I, I just, I feel like this, in a way, it's kind of heartwarming. He's like a comic book mm-hmm. nerd, that the kind of guy that you would get into an argument at a convention over who was stronger, Shazam or, you know, Plastic <laughs> Man or something, and um, would insist that it was Plastic Man, even though that's clearly wrong, <laughs> and would get visibly angry, you know, when you... You did, yeah. So that Don Murphy, it was there was a time when he was just he was just all over the internet, and it was so easy to get a rise out of him. I didn't do it deliberately, but I know I thought okay. the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen sucked, and he disagreed <laughs> and thought that it was what? a big hit. And um, and I was kind of like, I don't think there's going to be a sequel, and, I'm pre- and he was like, I'm pretty sure there is, and I don't know, Don, it's been a while. <laughs> Wait, like a wait, sequel. It's a legacy sequel. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Hold on. So, so you're saying was this around the time that the movie was released, like League of Extraordinary um, Gentlemen? No, it been had like... been it had been it had been released for long enough for everyone with an IQ okay. above a planarian worm to know that it was not going to have a sequel. That it was a fiasco, and everyone involved with it, you know, has retired, died, or is living in shame. Yeah. So okay. it it did not work, and and yeah. Now, and, I, and, and, I don't know. I, <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, just I I loved the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the comic book, and it's one of those things where the damn movie was already laid out. All you really had to do was take the comic book, give it to a cinematographer, and get the actors to pretty much do what they were doing on the damn comic, and you would have a, a great movie. You just had to pick which panels to put there, and instead, I mean, that's a movie we really should do sometime because it is so misbegotten. It's like such a cool concept destroyed after it goes through the Hollywood sausage machine. Yeah. It's, it's just an illustration of how things can go wrong. And look, I, I don't know if Don Murphy is one of those hands-on producers or if he's one of those guys who is smart enough to buy up the rights to these things. And then they have to deal with his bullshit. He's, he's allowed to be on the set and give suggestions that they ignore. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's not responsible at all for how these things happen. But boy, did, was he, he's a passionate guy. And yeah, and, yeah. Well, Don it, Murphy, it, damn. It's actually it's it's funny it's funny you should mention that because so James Yukich, the director, in an interview that I found that was I think done in the last couple of years because apparently he's he's actually pretty good natured. He seems like a pretty cool guy. Uh, he claims uh, obviously you know he directed the movie. He claims to never have met Don Murphy. Apparently hmm. they never visited the set. So yeah, so this is this actually ties back into what I was I was saying about them. <laughs> So uh, a hands-off producer. Yeah, yeah, hands-off, a hands-off producer. So Don Murphy and Jane Jane Hampshire apparently they were the ones who kind of secured the rights to the you know the film rights to Double Dragon. But yeah, so they they were they were producers. They had made I guess they were co uh, they were kind of a producing team for a little while. I think Jane Hampshire stopped producing. Don Murphy is still at it. Uh, no no idea whether he's still at internet trolling, but he would actually he kind of has an interesting career because he produced this and he actually produced another film the same year, a little movie called Natural Born Killers, which well, I don't think you could have yeah two two movies two uh, more right. different films in the same year, but uh, yeah I mean this is like you know akin to when Steven Spielberg put out like Schindler's List and The Lost World in the same year, mm-hmm. but um. So yeah, he would he would go on. Uh, he's I think he's still producing. He would go on to produce, uh, as Bill said, *Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen*, all of the Transformers movies. But he also had a couple of kind of uh, I, I don't know better films, in my opinion. He also produced *Apt Pupil*, and he also produced *From Hell*. So I don't know. Apparently he's I guess he's one for two in the uh, the Alan Moore adaptations. 
So, yeah, the, the, I, I found something that said, and I don't know if this is, like, apocryphal or not, but supposedly Don Murphy was, like, playing Double Dragon 3 in an arcade in, like, 90, <laughs> 1993 and said, ooh, this would make a good movie. I'm not making Stop. this up. Yeah. Stop. No, I'm not making this up. So, some, so I guess he... So yeah, I'm killing Bill. I'm sorry. Oh, Bill's still recovering. I don't want to... Can, yeah, can, I I wanna... can I just mention something from his Wikipedia page? I oh, had to race to it. Um, Please. Okay, so look, and here's where I give the man credit. He reminds me of Michael um, Ursland, um, or Ursland, who um, bought the rights to Batman back when nobody wanted the rights to Batman. You know, it would be, it was a stupid idea to make a Batman movie. Zap Powell being no one, comic books were stupid, and Batman was the stupidest one of all. So he bought the rights, and now until the heat death of the universe, anytime they make a Batman project, he's a producer. So my hat is, is uh, someone like that who has the vision to see what could happen. You know, Transformers is is a fine premise for a movie. They're robots who can turn into trucks. Where is the failure in, in that concept? You just, it, you know, that, that's what it is. And you just have to come up with a story that involves robots that turn into trucks. Who doesn't love robots or trucks? Apparently, <laughs> no one, because those movies just make a mint of money despite being almost uniformly dreadful. But here's here's the bit. During production of Transformers, Murphy hosted a forum on his personal website so Transformers fans could discuss the film and make suggestions, enabling them to influence the film's script and casting. I don't want to say whatever my issues with uh, Mr. Murphy, that's a dreadful idea because the fans, I would sooner trust my life to Don Murphy than I would (laughs) to a group of fans on the internet. Oh. Um, However, the forum remained Murphy's personal project rather than an official site for the film, partly due to his corporate partner's unease about how the website might be perceived. It was a train wreck. It was a complete train wreck. Um, but But it was cool because all these internet trolls got to hang out with a guy who could buy and sell us oh my like, god like uh, yeah just with the coin in his <laughs> coins in his pocket and this guy just got so angry about what a bunch of nitwits who have were just nothing compared to him that was great it was great. i feel so, like uh, i i, I, I feel like some it. of the things that ended up in those movies were probably no worse than some of the things that even the trolls were suggesting though so well no when, when you say. hear like <laughs> when you hear kevin smith's story about wild wild west and and you realize that's absolutely true, you know, or no, yeah. it was no Superman. Superman. And, and yeah. The guy wanted um, the giant yeah. robot spider. Yeah. And you're like, we okay, actually... this story doesn't sound right. But then it turns out, oh yeah. As soon as he got his chance, there was a giant robot spider. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, this is, this is to- totally tangential. I know we're getting way off topic, but we actually somehow started talking about John Peters on the other podcast. There we go. Ago, so that's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways. So, yeah, Don Murphy, Jane Hampshire, they were, I guess, they, they own the IP, uh, so they, they were kind of involved. But yeah, like I said, I, James Yukic claims that they that he never met either of them, like the entire time mm. they were making this movie. So I guess they weren't super invested in how, you know, the actual story or anything like yeah. that. So in order to kind of talk about some of the people that were a little more involved, we got to talk about the Shaw brothers. I'm not talking about, you know, not those Shaw brothers. If you're if you're a film person, you probably have certain Shaw brothers in mind. No, I'm talking about Shaw. But that would have been that would have been fucking amazing. A H. Oh, that would this movie would be good. Yeah. Oh, that would have been fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. It's the the five deadly venoms versus double dragon. That would have been great. No, um, no, we're talking about the Shaw brothers, S-H-A-H. So these were three brothers, Ash R. Shaw, Sunil R. Shaw, and Sundeep R. Shaw. 
So they, uh, they're the producers that I, I believe they actually put up the money. They're, they were basically the, the money guys for this movie. And they had co-founded a company called Imperial Entertainment in 1987. And they had actually kind of done, kind of specialized in like low to mid-rent action films. Uh, they had made a couple of, uh, you guys probably know how to pronounce his name. Is it Sho Kasugi or Kasuji? Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Is that, yeah, is that sure. pronounced right? I think yeah. so. Yeah, so they made a couple of I certainly of would not want to get it wrong because the guy could, like, break your neck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know if he's still alive, but even if he's not, he could probably still break my neck. Um, no, so they made a couple of movies with him, Rage of Honor, Pray for Death, and Black Eagle. And Black Eagle also co-starred Jean-Claude Van Damme, who they also made a couple of other movies with him, such as Lionheart and Sudden Death. So they had uh, basically kind of the, their specialty was kind of like 80s and 90s action movies. And uh, Sundal and Sundep have actually, I think, left the business. But uh, Ash Shaw still working. He's gone on to produce such films as Badass, Message from the King, and uh, Renee. I told you there was a direct connection to one of your favorite films of all time. Here is also yes. a producer on Frankenfish. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they Makes were the money. So guys. Yeah, <laughs> they were the money guys, and apparently they were kind of super invested in like how this movie was actually getting made, which is we'll kind of talk a little bit about the the disagreements between some of the, the people on the kind of creative direction that this movie would take. Um, and then the third person that we kind of have to talk about is the other producer, Alan Schechter, who I believe he was actually like the kind of uh, functioning producer, like he was actually, you know, mm. getting getting the production together. Uh, he he had a, also had a kind of a, a background in action. He had started his career as Joel Silver's assistant, um, and then he also produced uh, a movie called Showdown for the Shaw Brothers. So apparently, I guess he was on as producer, and he was the one that was actually uh, kind of responsible for getting James Yukich involved. I guess they were friends. And so Yukich, the director, he was actually a music video director. He had actually had oh, a huge yeah. God, career. His, yeah. his list of uh, things <laughs> yeah. just goes on and on. I can't. It's hard to even find Double Dragon in the mix. Yeah, let me. I mean, let me read some of the some of the acts that he had done music videos for. So he had done he had done projects for Genesis, Huey Lewis and the News, who will actually come up in this movie. Cheap Trick, Phil Collins, David Bowie. Uh, he also made a music doc Iron Maiden, Alive After Death. He had. I mean, there were literally dozens of other acts that he had yeah. done videos for. So he was he was already like super successful in like uh, in in the in the music video world, but he had never actually made a feature film. Also kind of interesting to note, uh, Annabelle Jenkel and Rocky Morton, who directed the Super Mario Brothers movie, had also done some music videos, not nearly as many as Yukich, but I thought it was kind of interesting that, yeah, the first two video game movies kind of both had music video directors doing them. Obviously, that worked out very well for both movies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's kind of – I don't have a ton of uh, super deep background. I do a couple other things. Uh, so this was actually shot in Cleveland to save on location costs. Uh, apparently that didn't actually work out so well. So I guess Alan Schechter was from Cleveland and he was kind of pushing it to be shot there, but it, it ended up actually being more expensive because they still had to shoot some of the stuff in LA and the, the crew was actually from LA. So they had to like bring everyone out to Cleveland. So did anyone else do any research on this or take any notes that they wanted to share? Um, yes, I everyone only... but me apparently does this. 
That's fine. Bill, look, I'm a hey, slacker you, too, you, Bill. So it's okay. Bill, 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 you had a you had a personal story about Don Murphy that trumps absolutely everything I've <laughs> I've done taking notes on. So <laughs> oh, yeah. seriously, yeah, yeah, I was a toxic fanboy before there was such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Driving this man who really just needs to enjoy yeah. his much better than millions. My life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was terrible. Sorry, Renee. Did you have some some stuff? I have one thing that is a little bit production related. Um, there is a boat chase sequence in the movie uh, in the Cuyahoga River in Ohio. And that's the one with a huge explosion at the end. And I guess they broadcast, you know, they what they do, they broadcast the warnings and all that stuff. But it's just like at work when you send out mass emails and nobody reads them. So the explosion caused residents to panic and led to over 210 emergency phone calls in about 10 minutes. <laughs> Another yeah. fun note about the Cuyahoga River. In the movie, it catches fire because it's so toxic. Well, the actual yeah. river actually has caught fire in the past. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was I was going to say they, they achieved they achieved the effect of the Cuyahoga River were catching fire by uh, dropping a match into the Cuyahoga River. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was the cheapest effect they had on the entire movie. Yeah. I, I remember when that happened because that was such a big deal when that happened um, and how, you know, Cleveland was embarrassed by, you know, that, that they were talking how this made them look bad. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you have rivers that catch on fire. What's the fire department supposed to do? Go down there and throw chunks of water on it to, to put it out? I mean, you know, I don't think the publicity is the problem. Just how did you allow a river to catch on fire? But you've got to remember, boys and girls, back before, like, the Clean Water Act and things, the law in this country was that a company was allowed to pollute a river until it got really, really polluted, and then they had to stop. And, and that was the law. <laughs> you know, it almost encouraged you to get as much polluting in as you could because you knew that gravy train was going to end at some point. Uh, of course, yeah, of course, that all that was all brought to an end by, uh, by President Richard Nixon, uh, oddly enough. Back in the day when a, uh, a Republican president would actually sign an act that would say that people needed to pollute less. So there's, anyway, there's a guy, there's I mean, a guy who would have gone down in history. Exactly. As a great, great president. <laughs> yeah. if, he, if he hadn't like done something illegal to help win a race that he literally could not, could not lose. Lost. Yeah. Like if he yeah. had died months before the election, McGovern would not have won, won more yeah. than he would have t- doubled the number of states that he won to a yeah. grand total of two. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the writers behind this project before we dive into the film, because this is also kind of of important to the. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of important to the development of this movie. So uh, originally there were two writers on this movie, Neil Shusterman and Paul Dini. Uh, So Neil Shusterman, I think that uh, you could said that this was the writer that was working on the movie when he came in. And then I, I think that he got kind of got replaced. So Schusterman had uh, he, he would actually go on to write uh, for, for some TV shows, some kids TV shows, Goosebumps and Animorphs. If you're uh, hmm. you're from my generation, you remember when those were on TV. And apparently he doesn't actually write a lot of like movies anymore. But he is now a went to his website. Apparently he's a New York Times bestselling author of over 30 oh, novels in the yeah the YA kind of genre. So, yeah, good for him. Hmm. But then Paul Dini is kind of the interesting one. Because yeah. even if, yeah yeah do you get uh, so so he had he had he had actually written a ton of TV like primarily cartoons before this uh, he had written for He Man and the Masters of the Universe the Ewoks cartoon Tiny Toon Adventures 
And then he would also go on to write for Batman the Animated Series, Freakazoid, and Star Wars The Clone Wars. And he has like a million other credits. I'm just kind of cherry picking there. But um, lots of pl- Batman stuff. Lots, lots, of, lots of, of Batman stuff. Good In Batman fact, stuff. Good, great. I mean, really uh, one of the best, some of the best Batman stuff came well, from not- him. He so yeah he he co-wrote what I actually still consider to be maybe one of the the best if not the best Batman film of all time theatrical film no less because he actually co-wrote Mask of the Phantasm uh, mm. if you guys remember that one and oh, yeah. he is also he will go down in Batman history because he was one of the co-creators of the Harley Quinn character on the animated mm-hmm. series so yeah also another <laughs> totally random piece of trivia but uh he also played george lucas on an episode of the clerks animated show so oh, wow. um so yeah those two so that was the talent behind kind of the the initial i guess the the initial screenplay but then they brought in two other guys to, to kind of rewrite it uh michael davis and peter gould uh also it's actually really kind of interesting how much talent there is behind this movie and to kind of compare like how it turned out to some of the talent behind it so Michael Davis, uh, he was actually a storyboard artist. He had worked on movies like Tremors and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Uh, he also wrote the Prehysteria movies, which I don't know if you guys remember back in the day. What was the offshoot? I think it was like Full Moon, but it was like their offshoot or something. They're like kids offshoot. Oh, oh, oh God. Those are you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, oh. yeah, he's, he's done some other stuff. He, like the most notable thing I found, he went on to write and direct Shoot 'em Up. Um, but then Peter Gould, <laughs> I was kind of amazed. Uh, he would go on to write and produce Breaking Bad, and he's also credited as the co-creator of Better Call Saul. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, well, it, you can see the parallels in this movie. So. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> exactly. So, so Gould and Davis, I believe, have the actual writing credits, and then uh, uh, the other two have the like story by credits. Now, right. there is actually an uncredited writer who is maybe responsible for some of the weird tone in this movie Uh-oh. because. Yeah, Jukic also mentioned that he brought in a writer named Mark Brazil, and he actually brought him in to add, he said, uh, more humor to the script. Oh, which, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brazil, Brazil also uh, actually kind of went on to kind of have a big career because he also co-created that 70s show and Third Rock from the Sun. So... Yeah, lots of, lots of so, so I'm guessing this, this is the guy. This is the guy who said, you know, it would be funny if everyone just opened their mouths and screamed. Yeah, yes, that's probably yeah. exactly it, honestly. Uh, Breaking Bad has funnier scenes than anything oh, in this movie. Breaking Bad has, yeah, some general, <laughs> g- genuine comedy in it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's kind of a uh, that's kind of the background. That's an, and... that's an interesting crew of people. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of talent there. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, actually, one other one other and person it shows on screen. It does. Oh, well, it does. One other person I kind of wanted to mention, and actually, you know, watching this movie didn't even occur to me. Because I, I kind of remember the plot of this movie and the kind of the background, but rewatching it, uh, it made me think of another movie that actually it, it preceded by a couple of years. Because this movie takes place in a Los Angeles that's been kind of leveled by an earthquake. Do you guys yes, <laughs> yes, guys it's in of... my notes. Yeah, Escape from L.A. Escape from L.A. So, so, mm. and it does a better job. <laughs> it does a better job than Escape from L.A. That's one of my notes. Like one yeah. of the worst scenes in Escape from L.A. is when they're they're, the surfing. they're going down where the surfing and the water. Yeah. Jesus oh Christ, it's so terrible. Here, the the details in this are really nice. Like they don't they don't they don't zoom in on it or it's a sort of a background detail. That one during the boat chase, the the Hollywood sign is yeah. right there. Well, the Hollywood sign is way up in the Hollywood Hills, so it's just this really nice like detail in the background. 
like a lot there's a lot of spots that are like that where it's i wouldn't call it subtle but it's not a zoom in on hey look at this and it, it's not cheesy and cheap looking like escape from la it, it actually better, better works pretty escape well from la is the lowest bar the, lo- <laughs> the lowest of low praise is like but yeah, it's still he's, above he's that bad, but he's no hitler oh. okay really <laughs> but it's right. still above that though i mean it is yeah. it's, it was actually i thought that was like a neat little touch yeah. there i was like Cool. It's the Hollywood sign. I mean, you have to kind of know the Hollywood sign is actually way up in the hills to get the little thing that they're going past it, and it's just you know. So it's it's a nice little kind of nod. Just like when the, the the river catches fire, early on they set that up. They're they're panning along, and people are fishing some water out, and then they they don't focus on it. They just kind of go past it real quick. They throw the water yeah. into a barrel that <laughs> on the bursts into flames. Yeah. yeah, but it's like it's just in passing. So, and they set that up and they do a lot of that in the film where they actually set something up. They do a good job of setting stuff up and using it. Now they might not necessarily explain it sometimes, but they still do a pretty good job of that. It was sorry. I'm sorry. My second bowl of cereal, as you might've already. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh boy. It's it's hard to take the, the post-apocalyptic dystopian thing seriously. It's like, okay, so LA has been leveled and I get that. And, and people are making do as best they can. It's completely short circuited where, you know, it's like, the buildings are always threatening to fall over, but a midget in a suit is there to <laughs> pump on the, I don't know, thing that yeah, holds the, the roof up. Yeah, the jack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which R- yeah, Renee no. has some great notes about that. We'll get to in a little oh, bit. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, took me took me right out of the movie. Like, yeah. Okay. So so yeah, I will say. Are I'm you saying show. that? Are you saying that that little people can't have good jobs? Helping support infrastructure, Bill. Is that what you're saying? Is that what well, you're saying? well, honestly, honestly, if I'm looking to hire uh, someone whose sole responsibility is making sure the building doesn't collapse around me, I want long arms, <laughs> and not just long arms proportional to your tiny little body. I mean, really, genuinely long arms. The other guy in this movie, the one who comes back as a zombie, would have been perfect. That yeah. Big, oh, tall, yeah. Gangly guy. Yeah. Yeah. Whose name I can't remember. Yeah, uh, you're talking about the the uh, tower, the basketball player. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah the guy in the basement. Yeah, yeah. that's Which, the guy by the you way, give a job like that to. Scared, scared the shit out of me as a kid. Oh, that, we'll, that is we'll, a genuinely <laughs> scary bit of makeup there. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the makeup and effects, but good. I, I yeah. think, I think the yeah, I think my the, the interesting thing rewatching this movie is there are so many bad things about it. There are actually some <laughs> really good things about it. So yeah, just real quick, I kind of wanted to mention the the because yeah, the the escape from LA connection was like, huh. That's really interesting. But the more I read about this movie, the the more that connection became really weird for me. So first of all, in this movie, the big one hit L.A. in the year 2000 because they mentioned it was seven years ago. In Escape from L.A., the big one hits L.A. in the year 2000 as well, which I guess, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. the year 2000, it was kind of like the year that people right. expected everything to go to shit. So, you know, a year fine. later, there was a big tsunami. It wasn't here, but, you know, they were they were close. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so yeah, so one other person behind the scenes that I kind of wanted to mention was uh, Gary B. Kibbe, who this is where these connections become even even deeper. Uh, so Kibbe had had shot a couple of little movies you guys may have heard of, Prince of Darkness, mm. They Live, and Body yeah. Bags. And oh, then yeah. he would also go on to shoot movies such as Vampires, In the Mouth of Madness, Village of the Damned, Ghosts mm-hmm. of Mars, and a little movie called Escape from L.A. So thought that was kind of interesting. So yeah, so this is this said he had actually been uh, Carpenter's director of photography yeah. for a while, and I, I oh man I actually didn't I wish I'd written this down. There was there another there was actually he almost wasn't the director of photography. I think I forgot to write down 
the 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 note on this but uh there was uh, the, the other guy's name but basically there was another director of photography who had shot for a couple of days and then i guess it was one of the scenes where they they were like uh they're on the uh, i think like the fight scene near the the water I guess mm-hmm. he had like jumped over a fence or something and busted his mm. leg. And he oh, realized mm. he actually tried to shoot. There are a couple of shots that he did in the movie. Like when they go into the, uh, they, they go into like the, the, the tower, they're like breaking in they're all the, all the kids like skate in to kind of create a diversion. And the, the yeah. camera's kind of going over the fountain. Apparently he shot that, but, uh, but yeah, so he, I guess broke his leg or whatever and, uh, had to be replaced. So that's kind of an interesting little aside. Mm. But, uh, yeah, so I think that's it for kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, the people involved in this movie. I have a couple other behind-the-scenes stuff, but you know what? I feel like it's time to get to the, the kind of meat of this discussion and kind of open it up to talk about kind of the, the, the important things, obviously, the uh, <laughs> the actors and the characters, the characters that we grow to love in, in this film. Oh, God. So, <laughs> <laughs> What's I'm gonna as always, you know, I, I have I have I think Renee was asking me about what's the format of this episode, and I was like, you you want I don't I can't I can't write a format for for Double Dragon. We're just gonna we're just gonna talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about. So in fact, I'll open it up and I'll say, Renee, is there anyone that you want to talk about in terms of characters or actors? Oh man, well I you know I guess we could probably. I'm going to skip because I feel like, boy, Robert Patrick, we could probably go on for a little while with oh. him. Yeah. So I'm going to skip, though, because this is probably someone else we could go on just for a minute in the I don't Anyway, Scott Wolf is Billy mm. Lee. Mm. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Can, yeah. Can, can I actually can I actually just just mention this? And I'm sorry, I'm already cutting you off after I asked you to talk. <laughs> But here, I just wanted to I just wanted to point this out. So I, I wanted to because this I you know like I said did some research about the the Lee brothers Jimmy Lee and Billy Lee. So yeah, we got Scott Wolf as Billy Lee. We got Mark Koskis as Jimmy Lee. Don't uh, you Mark, mean Ugg and Home? Oh, excuse me, yeah. Ugg and Home. Yeah. <laughs> God, I can I can guarantee you that that Mark Brazil went back in and wrote That's that whole. The, yeah. Yes. Yeah, fucking kept, hell. Kept sticking with it. They're gonna they didn't laugh the first time, but they will the second or third. And if they don't get it, we'll explain the joke to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Remember, keep in mind who was the audience for this film. Was it somebody who was oh, 40, oh. 50, or 60? Nope. It was well, probably a 12-year-old kid, which, Zach, if you had seen it at the time, you would have been right up your alley, wouldn't it have? Well, Paul, it's actually interesting you mentioned that because we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, – there, there was some disagreement behind the scenes. Uh, oh. As, uh, yeah, in terms of exactly, exactly who, who, this, who, who this was for. Yeah, you know, um, who's the audience for a Bugs Bunny cartoon? Twelve-year-old kids and their parents, so, and their parents, like, their parents. Yeah, you yeah, know, but yeah. and, and they were, and, and and yet they're still watched to this day, as opposed to Double Dragon, which has to be forced on podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Once again, um, I got to mention, uh, you know, we're I, I'm not forcing anyone to watch, do anything. I feel like, uh, oh. I feel like every time we we talk about a horrible movie, you always you always make it sound like I'm I'm horrible and for no, I'm. I, 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 you know what? I, I would give you your cat back even if you didn't record this episode, Bill. I told you. Um, anyways. Oh, man. I, I felt like you interrupted Renee as she was about to trash Scott Wolf's performance as well, if you were going to defend yeah. it. No, no, no. Just just real quick. Uh, sorry, Renee. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you talk here, but I just wanted to mention one thing. <laughs> okay, Kanye. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to let you finish. But wow. like, okay, just real quick. Just real quick. For those for anyone who's, who's not familiar with these two actors, uh, I just want to give you kind of the resume 
that, that got these guys involved in this movie. So Mark Dacascus, uh, he's the son of two martial arts teachers, and uh, his mother is actually the first woman to ever be featured on the cover of Black Belt magazine. Uh, mm-hmm. He had a he had a background in martial arts. He had been doing martial arts, I guess, ever since he was a kid. He had done a bunch of kind of, I guess, like local and regional championships, and also, uh, you know, he kind of placed pretty high up in a lot of those, like first or second in 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 a lot of the championships that he did as like a kid. He seems like he seems like someone who actually would, you know, be a good fit. But this yeah, role, so so he has as opposed to someone I, who's in Saved by the Bell. Yeah, he has multiple. <laughs> he has multiple black belts. I think he has trained in karate, uh, Shaolin Kung Fu, Kaperia. I don't know how to pronounce that. Wushu Tai Chi, Win Hop Kwon Du, and Muay Thai. And uh, yeah, so he has. He's basically he had been training martial arts training his entire life. Uh, his parents were martial artists. He had multiple black belts. And Scott Wolf had a really nice smile. Yeah. So, yep. <laughs> so uh, that's that's just kind of just kind of baseline for these two. But sorry, Renee, I've I, I'm now going to shut up and let you talk. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, it was kind of the same thing that he is really. I don't even think they tried to teach him any karate, um, unless he was just that bad at it that they just couldn't even <laughs> pretend. Um, I I kind of understand, and I hate it. I hate that. That whole, like, oh, this person's really hot right now, so we're going to cast them in this show, which is used to... I, I feel like maybe it goes a little bit better nowadays, but, oh, that was just very, very bad choices here. Mm-hmm. And um, much like Satori, who we will talk about at some point, he's really bad at hiding things. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I have. You, you mean the character and not the actor, right? Well, I mean, he might be or bad both. at hiding things, too. Honestly, I don't really know. <laughs> he's, um, bad at, he's bad at hiding the fact that he doesn't know any kung fu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's funny you mentioned that, because... But he should have won that, that one at the beginning, you know? That's, that, he was, uh, he, he yeah. was robbed of it. Man, he was, I was like, I had to know, Billy's a sore loser. He's in the wrong there. He's, yeah, I'm watching <laughs> the movie, and I'm like, am I supposed to be rooting for these two? Because one of them is a total jerk. Yeah. yeah. So James Yukich, he's again, he seems like a really nice guy. He actually like sure. had really nice things to say about everyone. But his comment on on that was like, uh, I think I think his I didn't write down the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of like talking about like he was like, yeah, Mark Dacascos, he he, you know, he, he knew his shit. He knew a lot of the, the martial arts and he performed a lot of his own stunts. And then I think he said something like, yeah, Scott Wolf, he was um he was athletic, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't trained in martial arts. So he was kind of being nice about that. But um, which, is, which is not his fault. He's if you're not oh, trained yeah, in yeah. something, you know, if they hire someone to be Zorro and they know that he can't ride a horse. Is it the actor's fault that he keeps falling off the horse and hurting himself? I mean, yeah, Scott. Well, and Scott Wolf has actually, you know, when you look at his credits, he's got nothing to be ashamed of. He's oh, worked yeah. steadily and everything considering, yeah. frankly, how bad he is in this movie. He yeah. obviously, you know, was able to to do better. He's in one of my favorite movies, Go. So, oh, that's there you right. Go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my god, he's, I love Go. Major role oh. there, and and acquitted himself quite nicely. So nothing bad. Yeah. But this is terrible. It's he's miscast. He's probably feeling uncomfortable in that this whole movie is a martial arts action film, and he can't. If someone cast me in that role, I'd probably shoot myself because I know I'm going to embarrass the entire family line. Um, and, and when you see what they do, you know, when they're trying to, when the two of them are fighting together, it's, it's awful. It's terrible. <laughs> you know, they're using camera angles and edits and everything to try to make it look like this could work. And it's like, just, just get, 
you know, Mark uh, DeCat. Is it Dacascos? Dacascos, right. yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Just, just let him do the heavy lifting here. Give, yeah. give the other, give the other guy some uh, mystical zap and glow power or something. We can just pose and laser beams come out of his ass or whatever, you know, just to hide the fact that he can't do anything. You've got a martial artist there. Use him for everything. I think, I think you guys are missing the point. So usually when you're playing a video no. game, a two-player video game, <coughs> yeah. with them, one one person's usually really good and the other person's shit. Well, clearly he's playing, he's supposed to represent oh. the player character oh. of the person who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing is just button mashing, whereas the other person's the person who knows all the combos. Oh. See, that's, oh. see it's, wow. it's, it's on a much larger meta level. Oh, and on mm. a side note, I didn't realize he was engaged to Alyssa Milano at the time, too. So oh. there you go. Oh, well, yeah. and that was, that was a good time before. to be engaged to her. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. Yep. He probably he probably put that at the at the top of his resume. It was probably the number one and number two bullet points was like engaged to Melissa Milano, Alyssa Milano, and then like way down at the bottom, uh, also starred in Double Dragon. Yeah, no. <laughs> engaged to Melissa Milano, and then in parentheses, nineteen ninety four, and you'd be like, oh, <laughs> my man, Ooh. fist bump. Yeah, uh. yeah. Because now yeah. she's basically taken over the Don Murphy role of wasting her time on Twitter yelling at people. Oh, oh, Do you oh really? Maybe, I didn't realize that. Ooh. Maybe oh, we yeah, can, yeah, yeah. Maybe we can tweet at her and engage her and get her to talk about Double oh, Dragon. Gee. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna get that cooking on on the main account. Stay tuned, folks. Follow us on Twitter at video. What is it? Video Junkies Pod. <laughs> Check that out. Check out that that flame war. <laughs> and anyways, yeah. So so I, I did think it was kind of funny. The I think that the you actually could tell, like, even if you knew nothing about these two, they do pretty much like when they're when they're having the fight scenes. Mark Dacascos it does look like he's doing a lot of his own stunts. They do like long takes. Like he's he, you know they show him. You can clearly see his face. And then whenever mm-hmm. Scott Wolf does something, they're like fifty cuts, and it's like yeah. all it's all like close ups of him. Like Mike Cascos, it's like him doing the stunts in like wide angles, and then Scott Wolf, it's like here's a close up of his face while you hear punching sound effects. Yeah. So, By the way, I want to yeah. recommend this. This is more of a um, thing when we're recommending films. Uh, Q tips. Yeah. Um, Brotherhood of the Wolf. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, Mark, Mark, Mark DeCastus has gone on to, like, actually be in some pretty good stuff. I should mention, like... And uh, some you crap. He's a working actor. He's a working actor. He's been in big budget stuff, and he's in stuff that you're like, ooh, he, you know, where, you know, they scraped up enough money where they could afford one name person, use him for a couple days, put him on the cover, and claim he's the star, but he really isn't. He's in all kinds of things. He's a working actor. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. And I'd love to, I'd love to, talk, this is a guy I would love to treat him to dinner and just listen. You know, it's like he's in I Am Omega, you know, the, the, um, <laughs> oh the I Am Legend. Rucker Hauer? Was that with yeah. Rucker Hauer? Oh my God. My, uh, well, Rucker Hauer was another one. And he was also in, um, oh dang, I just lost it now. Well, he, he, he was, he was in, in the Island of three. Dr. Moreau. Oh yeah! Oh I yeah! Mean, oh my God! That train oh. wreck! I could, I could listen. I, 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 I'd kidnap this man for a weekend and listen to stories <laughs> uh, from no, that. Disaster. No, you wouldn't, Bill. He would kill you. Please don't try. Well, to yes, that. he would. He would. <laughs> he would. He would kill you with a pencil or something like I, that. I'd hire. <laughs> I'd, I'd throw a couple of thousand dollars his way and claim that we're doing. I am Omega Two. <laughs> <laughs> and it would just be like, look, here's the money. Let's just have a conversation because I'm lonely. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. 
again. So so yeah, he he's been in some pretty pr- big like big big films. He was in John Wick three. Uh, he mm-hmm. was like yeah. we mentioned, he was in Brotherhood of the Wolf. He was also in he a was, in he a, was a uh, wolf fat in the new Hawaii Five O. Yeah, he was in Hawaii Five O. He's also in the the Crow Stairway to Heaven, which was kind of the short lived Crow TV show. Mm-hmm. And then I actually didn't realize this, but apparently uh, I guess he's also the sh- the uh, the host of Iron Chef, which is yes you know, when they when they brought show. Iron Chef back. Yeah. Which okay, uh, listen, he's fine in it. It's as good as it. It's as good as it is. But nothing compares to the original Iron Chef. If you could find those old dubbed episodes, they are some of the best stuff ever. It is amazing what they what they did with that show. It's so crazy. Could never be duplicated again. Today's recipe, today's ingredient, octopus. They bring out live octopus and you watch these guys dismember a living creature in front of you. It's just, it's enough to no. make you a vegan. Almost. Sounds terrible. I was going to say. It is terrible. <laughs> you've, you've now, you, you convinced me to watch it and then you convinced me not to watch it in like the yeah. course of a minute. Yeah. Um, yep, so yeah, Dukaskis, I also wanted to mention something else that I, I did not know about him that I thought was kind of interesting, but uh, he co-starred in a, a an unaired pilot from 1986 mm. called Bioman which was produced by one Haim Saban, who, if you're not familiar with that name, yeah, is a guy that would go on to make the Power Rangers. So I I guess Bioman was like a precursor, an unproduced uh, precursor to Power Rangers. And so he could have been a Power Ranger, but I guess not. I guess Mm. it was not in the cards. Uh, Something else I wanted to mention, uh, Scott Wolf. Again, I I apologize. I do a lot of research and find out a lot of interesting things. But uh, Scott Wolf's first appearance in, in a movie, in a theatrical film, was actually as a thug in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and mm. he also he, he actually shows up in the same scene as Sam Rockwell, which I thought was kind of oh wow yeah did I miss did I miss something or did they ever explain why one of the brothers is Asian and the other one is not? <laughs> they absolutely uh, did not. Don't worry about it's it. It's the same reason why why <laughs> the Mario Brothers one of them is a ta- one is one is Hispanic <laughs> and one is. English. There you go. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. He's, the, he's not English in the movie, but oh, yeah. I'm sorry. He's from yeah. No, he's, he's, he's English. I say I figured they were they they were you know that um uh, Billy was adopted is what I figured. You, you know, know, in the game they were twins. Were they? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, so adopted so that theory. He was an adopted twin. Well, they didn't exactly stay close to the the the. No, they said the they, source they material. Drop that. No. <laughs> It's freely adapted. For some reason, they drop that. <laughs> if anything, if anything, I think I think my guess is the casting in this movie was actually the opposite of trying to be PC because I feel like they probably <laughs> cast Mark Dacascus and they were like, "Here's a guy who can actually do this shit." But then someone said, "Oh no, we can't, we can't release can't a movie without Asians. like a white, yeah, we, well, yeah, we need a like white that. guy in it." No, yeah, that's that's I'm, I'm not yeah. kidding. Like I actually would not no, be surprised I, if they were like, "We need a." It, we need a Scott Wolf type in this movie, right? And uh, so, yeah, that, that's my guess. Is that uh, and again? We, we live in a country where um, you know David Carradine played a guy from China, <laughs> true, and would literally yeah. he would walk into a bar, and everyone in the bar would look at him, look at David Carradine, the right. whitest guy you've ever seen, and <laughs> be like, hey, China man, you're not yeah. allowed in here. Yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, well, I mean, there there are a couple of questionable kind of casting choices in this movie, but uh, we'll get to Robert Patrick in a minute. I <laughs> know, uh, I think that was intentional. When we get to it, I think that's, no, that's intentional. Yeah, we'll talk about it, but um, I don't know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah we, so sorry, I keep talking about the background of these guys, but what do we think about the actual performances? Is there anything anything we found uh, notable about uh, Wolf or Dacascus in this movie? 
I, they, they both actually seem to be having fun, frankly. I don't know if they really did or not, but they didn't seem it to me. It seemed like they were like, ah, this is going to be a, you know, what the fuck? Goof. Yeah. It seemed like they were just like, this is going to be fun. And, you know, you said in, in the background, there was some question about who the audience was. But when I was watching it, to me, it seemed very much that it was geared towards like 12 year old kids. And it seemed like they were like, are we going to play this broad? Fuck yeah. Are we going to have fun with it? Fuck yeah. And so that's how I took it. And I watched it. And I went, fuck yeah. It was fun. <laughs> so that's I mean, that's how I kind of took it was that it's it was not meant to be. I mean, they do some some serious mugging and and oh, yeah. and. Yeah, I mean it's a big time, but I think that was that's what they were going for. It wasn't you know so yeah they, they, def- they definitely seem to be having fun. And I will mention I, I found a, a an interview with Mark Dacascus from uh, as as late as 2019 in which he hmm. called he called Scott Wolf a joy to work with in this Aww. movie. So yeah, All right. yeah, yeah. See, guess, so it wasn't like a miserable time like like Mario right. Brothers, right? So right. Yeah, so I guess we can actually, you know, we've kind of been hitting on it a little bit, but uh, as we, as we kind of maybe we can swing back to this because the most interesting thing I kind of read and and something that kind of bothered me since even I think when I was a kid, I kind of realized because I mentioned that there were some parts that really scared me. There's the guy in the the basement. Honestly, all the shit in the basement's kind of scary. Mm. And then there's also the like very kind of like dark kind of background of of LA basically being destroyed. It's almost got this like I don't know, almost I don't want to say Blade Runner-esque, but it's definitely supposed to be this kind of like weird like dystopian oh. kind of future. Oh, and don't yeah. mention this movie in the same <laughs> breath with Blade Runner. God. You know what I, you know what I mean. But uh but but yeah, so so James Yukich again uh seems like a really cool guy and actually was like very kind of candid about all mm-hmm. this, but um, he said basically the the reason for that is that I guess he thought that this was so uh, Paul he's basically James Yukic is kind of your guy he he basically he actually said he he wanted this to be a PG rated film and he was kind of mad it mm-hmm. wasn't rated PG and he kind of wanted it to be kind of a kids movie basically he he basically like that was the audience like you said wait what what was this what was, was PG thirteen yeah I think it was is PG thirteen NC seventeen that's what Why that's what James Ethan said. I think it's yeah. I think it's just because of the action, and there's maybe because of some uh, <laughs> some scary content. Hold on, let me. So, so this is the same rating as as Raiders as as the Steven Spielberg movie where Indiana Jones gets his heart ripped out. Okay, because because <laughs> yeah. what's what are the two key words there, Bill? Steven yeah, Spielberg. Steven Spielberg, Spiel, yeah. Spielberg could have you know. He could have anything he fucking wanted on screen. I mean, he's well, the one who got PG thirteen. I was gonna made, say PG thirteen was made for that movie specifically. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I just he's... mean, I, I'm trying to think of what's in this movie that would that would not give it a G rating. I mean, you know, I mean, yes, Mel- Alyssa Milano has a nice ass, but they don't they don't linger on it. I do with the <laughs> well, one scene, but yeah, one scene yeah. they linger on it. <laughs> well, a little. So I just I just looked it up, and the MPAA rating is PG thirteen for martial arts violence. So martial arts violence. Oh, <laughs> oh brother. Wow. Racist freaking MPAA. Oh my god. Um yeah, so <laughs> so, so, so apparently martial apparently, arts <laughs> apparently the original the original version that uh, I guess Shusterman and Dini had wrote, written was a little bit darker and I don't hmm. you know I don't I don't think it was ba- it was basically not nearly as light as this one. And then when James Yukich came on and he brought the other writers on and he kinda wanted to lighten the mood. So the the funny mm. thing though is so he he didn't agree so so that was kind of 
that was kind of the guy that was pushing for this to be more of a kid's movie. But then the the other thing, and I think that the Shaw brothers were actually kind of on board with that, because I think, according to Yukich, they kind of agreed that this was supposed to be like a kid's action movie. But the guy who didn't agree was Alan Schechter, who, like I mentioned before, he was the, the other producer on this movie. And James Yukich, I guess one of the reasons that this movie is kind of confusing in its tone is that Schechter had essentially hired him. So even though he didn't agree with all the Schechter's decisions, like they were friends and he also like, he didn't want to argue with him because basically mm-hmm. he had hired him for the job. So, yeah. so all the dark shit that you see in this movie, like all the stuff that like, like uh, the, the, the weird shit with like the, the basement stuff and also like the, the gang stuff and like mm-hmm. all of the, uh, you know, the backgrounds that are kind of like dark and it looks like, you know, LA has been destroyed Apparently that was all Alan Schechter because he would actually like kind of, I guess he would kind of guide a lot of like the set design and stuff. And then James, you would show up to shoot and he'd be like, wait, what is this? I thought we were making a kid's movie. So when they were making the movie, like even then, like the two kind of main creative forces behind mm-hmm. the film couldn't agree on the like tone of the movie. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It's amazing. A movie ever gets made. Yeah. yeah. So many so- chefs. So yeah, so that was kind of to answer your to, so to answer your question, Paul. Like one one of the people, kind of uh, the main forces behind this movie would have said, "Yeah, this is definitely a kids' movie." And then the other one, Alan Schechter, would have said, "No, I want to make something a little bit darker." Because remember, this was also like uh, I think also kind of mentioned like the you know the the timing on this uh, was kind of similar to what we mentioned on in the Super Mario Brothers movie. This was only five years after Batman had come out, Tim Burton's Batman. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. and until Tim Burton's Batman came out, your average kind of Joe Schmo moviegoer, if you mentioned Batman, they'd be like, oh, yeah, zap, oh, pow, yeah. bam. Yeah. So so I think everyone, I think a lot of people were trying to, like, reimagine some of these things. or Dark ima- and gritty. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Gritty reboots. Gritty reboots, yeah. Or just, just boots in this case because it wasn't a reboot <laughs> yet. That's true. I did think it was kind of one other thing I wanted to mention. I thought it was kind of interesting that like they seem to kind of be setting up because someone mentioned the the opening scene where they're fighting and like what, like mm-hmm. uh, I guess uh, uh, who is it Billy uh, is like basically kind of this like going off and and messing yeah. around with the guys and and then like uh, Jimmy Lee is like kind of chastising him for being immature. But it's like it's weird because like. It seems like they were trying to set up the characters in that scene, but then that doesn't really follow through the rest of the movie. So I, I think know. you just described a good portion of the film. That's one of my notes. There's a lot of things. No, no, really. There's okay. a lot of things that are are like they seem like nice setups, yeah. and then you're like, "Where's the?" Pay? But then there are things that do they do set up and pay off, like the like the I mean, home. Well, no, no, no. Things like. <laughs> Things like, you know, Robert Patrick being sensitive to light. Now, they don't explain that. It's kind of like it's half-baked. But then that kick, that that ties in big time at the end. They set up the generator that has to be started at, at the power place. They set up the thing with the, 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 the river catching on fire. They do a lot of these. They set up a lot of things like that. It's still half-baked. I think it, it feels like, you know, they probably could have brought in another writer to come in and clean everything up and tie it oh, together. Because it... <laughs> Because it Always seems like More no, writers. you don't say no. But what I'm saying is, it it, re- it seemed like the, the the script needed like another go through to go. Okay, we've we we had one. We kind of Frankensteined another part of the script in. Now we need to go through with like a bit of sandpaper and smooth out those edges and kind of make it you know blend in nicely and and have it flow from one to the other. But it doesn't. So yeah. Anyway, yes. 
I agree. <laughs> nice. Well, <laughs> second uh, bowl of cereal still full of effect. Yeah. Now, I was going to say, uh, before before you pass out, we should probably move on. Renee, any final words on the no, Lee I'm brothers? I'm pacing myself, man. Okay. <laughs> um, no. Uh, no. I, okay. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed Mark Dacascos. Yeah, he's good. Um, okay. Who, I also, who, I'm so sorry. I'm just going to keep no. going. I'm going to say no, and then I'm going to talk, and I'm going to say no, and I'm going to talk. Just That's to talk yeah. myself. Yeah. Um, I saw there was some DVD commentary, and I thought it was very sweet because we were they were talking about uh, Alyssa Milano's character taking more of a uh, an active role in the movie, being sort of a heroine in a way. And he was very he was very nice. He thought it was very cool that they did that, and I thought that was very sweet. <laughs> That's, That's really actually good. one. That's but that's actually a good segue into Alyssa Milano's character. That's one of my notes about it is is she's not she's not the the typical you know princess that needs to be saved. Right. She kicks ass. She now granted they do focus on her ass that that one point, <laughs> but but really she is. I mean she is strong and she is crucial and and in in them beating uh, uh, whatever the name is Shuko. Um, at the end, because she's the one who goes, oh, fuck, yeah, he's sensitive to light. I know, I'll go flip the lights on, which is, which, if she didn't do that, they probably would have gotten their asses kicked. Yeah. So, she is, she is a an essential part of the team, and she's never really, there's like a little bit of romantic tension, but not much. I mean, she's, do, she's yeah. not there to be somebody's girlfriend. She is strong, she's independent, she is the head of a underground terrorist organization sort of but they aren't terrorists but they, they certainly feel that like the cops aren't tough enough on crime in la which is which is a bit wrong-headed especially in like the early 90s but you yeah. know hey um that was probably not a message people in the early 90s wanted to hear oh you know the cops just aren't t- tough enough on gangs in, in la what um anyway so yeah her group was going to be but anyway but still she was she was there so i mean it's yeah, I, that's one of the things I think was neat about the character, Renee. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with fully. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think Sorry. in the game, her character had been like, you know, almost like Princess Peach had just been kidnapped. So mm-hmm. it was quite nice they gave her an actual role. However, oh, her haircut <laughs> distressed me so much. Oh, I just, oh, the haircut. Not necessarily, yeah. I shouldn't say necessarily the haircut per se, but the bleach, that bleach color, oh, killed me. It was all kind of like gelled down. It was just bothered me. I mean, so but that was the style in two thousand seven. Uh, well, <laughs> well, ironically, I was then. about to say if you showed me that hair and be like, "What? Uh, what year was this movie shot?" And I'd say the first half of the nineties for sure. Yeah, <laughs> just based on the hair. Well, and the, the outfit she had with like the weird like oh, the God, pants, yeah. but then the kind of were they like stockings? The or, clothing or like, for sure. Oh yeah. man, yeah. and especially Mark Dacascos haircut. <laughs> like, uh. oh, I hated it. Oh, I hated. The hair in the '90s just drove me crazy. I hated it. I, I actually, I liked 90s. the hair in the '90s because no, I had I had hair in the '90s. Yeah, I, so. I had hair in the '90s. Yeah, <laughs> it was a good. It was but, a good. But decade. this is 2007. Remember, it oh, takes that's place true. In 2007. I just want to say, if you type Alyssa Milano double dragon into DuckDuckGo, it helpfully finishes the statement with movie pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it and knows it's the most awkward way to bend over. It's like a, like she's gonna get frisked because she's like spread your legs and bend over so what the hell's she's happening get pregnant. yeah oh jesus <laughs> oh all right so so yeah oh, man. Melissa milano i should mention because i always like to mention character names as if they matter uh starring in this film as marion delano so i actually didn't delario. have any D- Del- or excuse me delario 
<laughs> I di- didn't even write down her name correctly. Oh, my. I, I apologize. Thank you. Hey, did Thank you know you. that her little brother, um, yeah. Corey Milano, played Mark Delario? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Talk about nepotism. So that was her real, her real brother. Joke. Yep, real brother. Oh, cool. Yeah. Hmm. Who uh, apparently has gone on to work on a bunch of, like, uh, I think he was the one that I looked up, and he's he's gone on to work on a bunch of stuff as, like, a music editor, so... Oh, neat. Oh, good. good for him. In fact, he worked yeah. on, a, I believe, something that Bill mentioned on Q-Tips a long time ago, <gasps> Why Women Kill. Oh, oh yeah. Good. good for him, yeah. then. Yeah. So, oh, actually, he's, uh, he's got, yeah, he's got a hell of a good, uh, good thing for him. here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, don't think he don't think he pursued a career in acting, but apparently he's- You know what? He's smart. Music. Maybe he can, he can do this still, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, anything else about Alyssa Milano? Not really. I thought that one scene was kind of funny where they're like chilling out on the like little thing. He's like, oh, how do I use this? And that whole she's like, you got me, buddy. At one point, I swear she broke character and just starts laughing for no reason. But they just left it in. (laughs) It was really strange. I would not put it past this movie to just leave random outtakes in. Yeah, I'll find it. Send it nice. to hey, We yeah, shot so, in film back in the 90s, you know. Yeah, save every foot. <laughs> you That's worry. right. Yeah. All right, well, do we want to move on to kind of probably the, the other... Real star, Al Leon. Re- <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, no, he's he's the star in my heart, but uh, I think I think the uh, the real star of this movie, the guy who really kind of kind of takes up most of the space in this film... Is of course Robert George Pat- Hamilton. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, sorry. We'll get to that though. We'll get to that. Uh, no, Robert Patrick as Kokushuko, which I okay. So I thought uh. a couple of things I thought was kind of interesting. So uh, James Yukich actually mentioned. I guess Robert Patrick was good friends with Alan Schechter, and Yukich said mm. that uh, I guess Schechter made sure that Patrick was paid well for this movie, whatever that means. So that's I think one of the reasons his name is kind of front and center. Of course, Robert Patrick, anyone who knows about film in the 90s, I mean, he was only three years removed from his role in T2, which was, you know, absolutely huge. I mean, Schwarzenegger was all over the posters and everything, but that, I mean, the T-1000 was very iconic pretty much instantly. It's one of those characters that he was kind of so popular and so iconic so quickly that he actually kind of did cameos in that exact same role in the following two years because he did a cameo in Wayne's World in 92 and then in Last Action Hero in 93 as kind of a joke. Yeah, and and here's here's the mistake. Um, He was great in T2 because he he doesn't look like someone who could take on Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's the exact opposite of that. He's a regular-looking guy, but he's got these phenomenal powers, and he's much more dangerous than Schwarzenegger's Terminator. That's what makes it work. That that was a great role for him. That doesn't mean he's really necessarily the guy you want to see as the big bad in an action movie because he's not that imposing. Well, he also had, like, the thing I think that works so well about that role is it's such a physical role. And he's actually, mm-hmm. like, I think his, just his physical acting in that movie is yeah. very underrated. Like, he does this, like, almost, like, cat-like thing. You know where he's got like these like very kind of smooth movements and stuff, and it works. I love very the well. way he runs and, and yeah. yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It, so it, all it's that... very cool. It's a good performance. It's a great performance. I just don't think that means that he was the right guy for this role. 
Yeah, and I, I still like Patrick. I mean, for anyone who's watched uh, Peacemaker recently, I think he kind of kills oh, it in that, yeah. in that show. Oh, good. So. Oh, I'm looking forward Especially to Especially during that. the opening dance. That's, <laughs> yes. I, I, it cracks me up every fucking time, his, his <laughs> bit. His bit in that, I just, I die. But yeah, no. Oh, I, I think, Bill, I don't know. He There's there's not a lot of action for his character in this anyway, though, no. right? Because he transforms into something else. I think he's got the... Right. To me, as he's got the, actually the menace in this, but also the fun. Like you can see him twirling his mustache, almost in this. And apparently, he said he had a he, he still speaks fondly of it as as a fun sort of over the top role. Mm. Um, that he, he just you know he knew exactly what it was, and it's just like this is just really goofy shit, and I'm gonna play this goofy as hell. And I mean, and, and this film clearly doesn't take itself seriously. I mean, he doesn't have a line yeah. like "All I ask for is to be able to take over one major city." You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And a side note: I don't know if you guys noticed. So his name was Shuko, right? Did you notice, notice the Shuko Krispies on the table at <laughs> yeah. Osmanilo's house? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's apparently like, getting this. I didn't pick this up till like halfway through. I'm like, oh wait, he's supposed to be like rich and famous and own a ton of shit. I I didn't quite get what he was. You know, uh. so yeah, Shuko Krispies, and there was like several other Shuko things around uh, brand stuff. So he was yeah. like a major brand name, like Bin Laden. So, I so mean, that's... <laughs> well, okay. no, yeah. well, no, Bin Laden here's... was a big name. I mean, you can get Bin Laden soap and all that stuff. So. Here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing that doesn't make sense about this character for that, for, though, because actually, it, just what you mentioned. So apparently, this guy is some sort of like big. He, he's basically the head of, I guess, these big multinational conglomerates. Because mm-hmm. obviously, he has like a consumer goods arm. He has, you know, they're making cereal. He also mentions that they have like an engineering department, I guess, that they were, you know, working on all the stuff that they have down in the basement. So this guy is basically like an like should be like a billionaire industrialist. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, he wa- not only does he want to take over a city, he wants to take over a city that's basically falling into the ocean. Right. And it's right. full of like gangs. And I'm like, well, why? This like like if Bill Gates was like, oh, now that I have my billions, you know, I'm going to go uh, Detroit, you know, take it's over. Mine. Yeah. Take over Be- or Cleveland. Even like, <laughs> yeah, it's like what? I don't understand the motivation here. So because he's misunderstood, he's uh, trying to take it over. So he can to improve it. Back. So he can improve oh. it. I'll make it so the rivers he don't catch on clean. fire. <laughs> yes, he wants to clean up the city. He wants. That's why he tries to unite the gangs. Because that's once you unite them, then you can try to turn them into like, you know, they, they get big enough, they're going to want to get into actually legitimate business and get them in, head in that direction and legitimize them and make them actually bring the forces of good. They, that's why you're missing it. I mean, it's oh, yeah. very He's much a like. Great guy. He is. Well, it's like the, it's like, the, okay, it's like he the, burns that woman to death in one scene, but who hasn't done that in their, in their no, travels? Well, up I mean, the Bill Gates, right? So, yeah. oh. what? Huh? <laughs> no, no, I wait, made the comparison mind. to Bill Gates, but yeah. I, it's funny. I was going to make the comparison to Elon Musk, and then I was like, oh no, he's he is actually evil and would probably do all these things, so never mind. No, I, I'm just I'm just shitting you. He probably is just like Elon Musk, and just it might just be he's like uh he's just he's nostalgic for L.A. and he's just like it's my hometown and that's hmm. what I want to do. Yeah, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> I just I spent the whole movie, and again, I'm, I'm reading far too much into this because this is a ultimately a film for children. But yeah, I was like, I don't understand why he's spending all like, and he's also like this this uh I guess the talisman is going to give him like all these like extra ultimate power. So not only will he have his billions, but he'll also have these superpowers and it's all to, to take over the shitty, the shitty uh, new Angeles or whatever they call it. So I don't know. Yeah. Renee, well, what that's just where he starts. Oh, okay. Oh, that's where he's. Yeah. Okay. That's the start. Now I will say it sound uh, Paul, what you're talking about though, 
You know what? That sounds like to me though. It sounds like what? some. That sounds like gentrification to me. Sounds yeah. like so the real villains. Okay, sorry. Uh, That's true. Yeah, Renee, give us your thoughts on Robert Patrick in this movie. Um, I thought his his performance kind of gave me some like shades of Dennis Hopper from Mario, just being that kind of big over the top um, performance. Shades. And, uh, Shades, shades of Dennis shades. Hopper. Because <laughs> oh. he, he wears shades in the movie. Never mind. Sorry, get it, continue. Get it, get it. I saw the same thing Paul did. I thought it was kind of nice that he had a pretty decent time filming. Um, <laughs> he did a, uh, again, I saw him in one of these commentary things where he's like, Kogashuko is an American male who believes he is a reincarnated Japanese warlord who is fulfilling <laughs> oh. his destiny. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> that explains it. <laughs> yeah, they actually, they, they did go out of their way to explain why he's not like uh, a Japanese guy or whatever. Because, yeah, I guess, I guess originally he was supposed to be an Asian character, but they cast Robert Patrick and then they added the line in about Oh, that's not his real name. His real name is like Geisman, but who wants yes. to party? Who wants to party with Geisman? <laughs> yeah, like Robert yeah. or something. Yeah, Robert Geisman or something. <laughs> his, like name, that. his real name is Robert Patrick. That'd be funny. Jeez, yeah. Boring. But see, you know, the thing is, actually, it's it's a whole commentary on on whitewashing in 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 Hollywood and how so it, it's intentional there. It's 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 set up Oof. specifically. It's not really an example of whitewashing. Saying, oh God forbid, we can't have an Asian guy in here. We need to put a well known white actor. No, 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 no. See, it's more of a meta commentary on that in other films. Oh, Much oh, like so how they said, oh God forbid, we can't have an actual Italian play Mario. No, we got to have freaking. Bob Hoskins or Chris Platt play Mario. No, we can't have an Italian play Mario. God forbid. Oh, sorry. Never mind. <laughs> so you're saying they were doing that ironically. Yeah. No, no, no. It was, okay. it was to make a... It wasn't ironically. It was to make a meta, oh, okay. meta commentary. Oh, meta commentary. Yeah. Meta commentary, yes. Mm. I think that's actually one of the tags on the IMDb Sorry, Renee. I, 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 I stepped on what you were going to say, Renee. Sorry. You... Oh. Um... No, that's okay. The only other thing I was going to really comment on, which is perfectly fine that you did that, because the only other thing I had to comment on was his hair, because mm. it was kind of amazing. What really caught me is, so, like, it had the really, like, white top, right? And then the sides were dark. But when he turned and you saw the back of it, it was, like, one, like, bright, I don't know what kind of magic they did, but whoever did his hair did a hell of a job. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I should have gotten the name for that. I did not. <laughs> His hair was one of the few things that I really remembered about this movie, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah. So another interesting kind of aside, actually, uh, a little trivia for the podcast, actually. This is, I think, the the third Video Store Junkyard episode we're doing, unless Paul convinces us not to. But this is not a Junkyard episode. But Oh, I, I uh, don't please. know. I wouldn't say this isn't a bad <laughs> film. It's, just, it, it's enjoyable, and it's got definitely good parts to it. Okay, okay. Well, uh, and if you eat enough cereal, holy shit, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, Robert, Robert, I'm on bowl number three, by the way. Robert, Robert Patrick had been, actually, his first film was, uh, I believe, in a film by Serio H. Santiago, who had directed one of the other movies we talked about, The Sisterhood, which uh, was actually also a <laughs> what? Tomorrow's of Yesterday. And the sisterhood also starred Robert Patrick's wife, Barbara Patrick. So, oh. yeah. dun, dun, dun. holy shit! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know because wow. we, I, I talked, I, I talked a bunch about those connections in that episode. So go, go back and listen to the sisterhood if you want to hear more about Robert Patrick's uh, history and his wife. But that's uh, why it sounded familiar. Yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, so yeah, Robert Patrick, uh, I don't know anything else, anything else we have to say about him other than, yeah, he, he seems to be having fun. I, I think he probably remembers this well because it was probably a pretty easy movie to shoot. I think he was basically allowed to do whatever he wanted to in terms of the character. And like I said, he, uh, he was paid well for this. So I'm yeah. sure he does remember it, uh, fondly. Oh yeah. Actually I do have a, a, one more thing about Robert Patrick. So we know how much we, we hate voiceovers in movies, right? Sure. And the opening has this voiceover where he's explaining the, the the mystical shit, but then they 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 continues continues talking. It slides into the scene where he's actually explaining it to his minions. So it's actually part of. Oh. Would you call that diagenic, where it's natural to oh, the the yeah. story? Would it, would it, so it's actually like diagenic sound, where it's part of the story. He's he's just sitting there telling these people, and we're visualizing what he's telling them. So it's a great way to do a shitty voiceover and have a legitimate reason for it. Yeah. yeah See, it's it art, man. It's art. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I did actually, <laughs> I did actually have a note about that though, because I, yeah, it was kind of interesting how they did that, but I was like, wait a minute, you're telling this story. Wouldn't you have, to, what did, did these guys not know why they were going to get this thing? Yeah. Cause yes, you're telling exactly. the story afterwards. Exposition man. Yeah. <laughs> So, because they know. were hit on the head while they were fighting, they couldn't remember. Oh. So he's trying to help them out. This is like whenever, whenever, on on those occasions when people send me scripts to look over and offer suggestions, one of the things that's most obvious because a lot of them are shorts and people feel like there's they got they filled this gigantic world and then they try to tell a short, but they got to tell everyone about the world because that's what they really were doing here. And as soon as I see the phrase, as you know. I just, my eyes just glaze over because in, in my long life, <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually said to anyone, as oh. you know, and then talk, because if they know it, why am I telling them? Oh. Right? It's just such a, and now that I've said that, see how many times you see a character say that in a movie. So somehow it oh. slips through. No, God. I always now. Yeah. That, that's that, one of my favorite things ever is when a character explains something to another character like like <laughs> i was rewatching the matrix which i i'm in the minority i really don't think that's a great movie and i could not get over some of the dialogue because at one point like uh uh neo is or, or morpheus is talking about you know what happened and he's talking about like you know the, the ai that that we fought a war with and and neo's like you mean artificial intelligence it's like oh yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what when so what I know anytime look I work in I work in 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 the gaming industry whenever a programmer says something about yeah I need to fix a fix a bug with the AI I'm like oh you mean the artificial intelligence <laughs> that's how people talk <laughs> anyways right, right. sorry yeah I love that though yeah I, as you know <laughs> yeah well Bill as you know when uh, yeah oh I love it um cool oh yeah. so the, actually that's a great way to work it in you have the person be doing a podcast. And so, therefore, they are telling, you know, they're talking to someone like I'm talking to you. And we know most of the shit we know each other, we've told each other, you know, kind of offline. But now we cut it out. We say, well, as you know, see, so that's how you work it into a script. Oh, God. All right. Well, yeah, or, or, you... not, or not. There's a reason why. <laughs> no, actually, there's, I, a reason, just... there, there's a reason why if you ever see my credits, most of them are boom operator and not, <laughs> not writer. writer. <laughs> Let me just say, yeah. for, for screenwriters out there, what you do, and think of how many movies this has done, you're following a rookie. The rookie comes into this existing organization that does whatever they do, you know, mates with werewolves or something. And um, they have to explain things to the rookie because he's a rookie. And of course, they're really explaining things to us, but it's plausible. It's, they're not saying this to each other because they would already know about all the details and what things do. 
But still, don't try not to do it. Try not to do the thing where they explain how a gun works. Because I don't know how a gun works. If if aliens came down here and I had a gun on one of them, I was about to shoot them. I wouldn't be like, my fleshy-headed friend. When I press this trigger, it causes a hammer to fall down, which ignites some gas in the back. Actually, I have no idea how this gun works. But if you move, I'm going to shoot you. You know. But aliens always do that. They explain how their laser pistol works. And I guess they're just better educated than us. And that's why they have laser pistols. They actually understand how their weapons work. I don't care as long as it fires them. Well, as weapons. you know, I kind of have two categories here. So uh, I'll see what you guys want to kind of cover next. Do you guys want to talk about henchmen? Or do you guys want to talk about the gangs? Henchmen were more interesting than the gangs, I thought. But we, well, we, right. we, yeah, because we can just touch on the gangs briefly after it. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, who's who's uh, who's at the top of our list for the uh, the henchmen? Well, Abba I mean, Dobo Dobo Bobo. What's yeah, that? I mean, well, no, he's one of the gay. He's one of the gang members. Is well, he? he's also a henchman, though. Yeah. No, I guess your uh, idea is he is a... he starts out as a gang member. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he kind of fits in between. Oh, you yeah. know what? We'll use. He's a bridge. We'll use... Oh, he's the. Bridge. Oh yeah. Shit. Oh Podcasting yeah. Magic. Fuck yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Well, Lash, really, let's talk about Lash. all there is to talk about, of course, is Al. I guess I sort of have yeah. one thing because I have actually two quotes okay. to throw at you guys. Yeah. Um, so I I will mention uh, Christina Wagner who played yeah. Linda Lash. It's <laughs> like Linda okay, Lash. who named her? Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, which with that whole like oh, it's a lady moment in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Hey, lady. <laughs> so there was two lines in this movie that completely killed me and they were so stupid so I, I loved them um, because they were so stupid Christina or Alyssa Milano says to Christina Wagner generally I put people in the hospital do you know why because Christina she was on- Wagner was an actress in General Hospital <laughs> and then later oh. do you notice when they caught Alyssa Milano she walks up to her and says, who's the boss now? Oh, no. <sighs> yeah. You're welcome. There you go. That's all I got. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very clever. That's the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, oh. someone so, someone wrote those lines and they're like, oh, yeah, this is it. They did. This yeah. is God it, baby. Us. The fans yeah. are going to love it. Yeah. Always put stuff in your screenplay that will be dated before the movie even comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but, actually, but we got the, we got the reference. We thought it was funny, right? Technically, technically, the uh, the the General Hospital, uh, I guess, is not outdated because I I looked her up. Christina Wagner, well, she actually only has eight credits on the IMDb, mm. but the, one of them is for General Hospital, in which she has appeared in five hundred and eighty eight episodes. Wow, so, shit. Uh, yeah. Wait, 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 with. But with the soap operas, that's like two years. That could be yeah, a year. yeah, like yeah. two years. Yeah, yeah. No, apparently, I think I think she was on there for a while in the '90s, and they brought her back. So, mm. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Linda Lash. Uh, you know the names. I guess like I wonder if the character was named Lash, and she was like, "Well, I guess I gotta go into bullwhips now," or if she like right. adopted that name after the fact. I don't know. She was named after Lash Larue. <laughs> well, let's talk, let's talk but about. It, it's actually it's actually a character in the video game. Oh really? Lashes. Yeah, that's one of the characters from the video games. Slash, I, oh. I posted in the chat. You oh, a picture of her. There you go. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of stupid references, uh, do we want to talk about Huey and Lewis? Who at one <laughs> yes. point, at one point, uh, Robert Patrick is uh, walks in and says, uh, "Huey Lewis, any news?" No, I'm not making <laughs> oh. this up. Yeah. You're yeah. Me here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Which, uh, again, I, I think I, I mentioned when I was going over his credits, but Jane Yukich, uh, you know, I guess had, had directed some Huey Lewis in the News videos. So very, very clever naming these two guys after them. Um, but yeah, Jeff Amata and uh, Jeff, Jeff Amata as Huey and Al Leong as Lewis, two of uh, some of the biggest legends in filmmaking history, in my opinion. Which one of these guys do we want to talk about first? Well, I mean, okay, I, I, in, in, well, in regards to the film, they, they're not really separate in the film. I mean, they, they mm. basically work together. I mean, oh, they're totally you know, wasted is what I think you're trying to say. Yeah. yeah well, are. yes, that is true. And not in a good way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they, it's, you sit there and you go, you have someone like Al Leong who like definitely every, you're, he's like that guy. You know, you're like every mm-hmm. you see him, you're like, oh, shit, it's him. Um, and, you know, the big gag is one of them gets a, a suitcase is stuck in the hair, hair stuck in a suitcase and it's still stuck to the side of their head for a while. Um, and they're just kind of they're It's like having the stooges. You know, they don't even really get to do much. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only good thing I like is at the very end, they don't have them put on like a bad fake Asian accent. They can just talk with their their yeah, real, right. you know, American accents of when they're talking. I was like, well, that was cool. I'm glad they didn't make them, you know do something you know horribly racist that's actually a good point <laughs> yeah i hadn't even yeah. thought of it that. is yeah. as i was i yeah. was like really i was pleasantly surprised by that i was like especially in the 90s that they yeah were, you know. yeah so yeah. that was that's but yeah like you said i think the fact that they were wasted in this is is a good yeah i'd rather so, watch like a said, movie with a, those guys i'd like to see a movie oh, about oh, henchmen God. who just like yeah. you know they 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 don't get paid very much. They work for some guy. They got to wear like a stupid costume to fit with this super villains theme. And then Batman puts him in jail and they go to jail too. But really how much trouble are they going to get in? They just dressed up like the Riddler and, you know, punched Batman. I don't know if that's even illegal. Really? He's not going to testify. So <laughs> he's yeah. never going to put his hand on a Bible and tell his true identity. So they're going to get off scot-free every time. And then they just, you know, get hired by someone else. It's like, Oh God, you know what now? Oh, we're going to work for, Mr. Freeze, we got to dress up in mittens, and uh, yeah, I mean, what's it like to be a henchman? How much money do you get paid? What does your What does your kid think about you? I feel like you've just pitched me a, a script that I really want to see. I feel like every time we record an episode, you pitch me a script for a movie. There you go. I really want to see. Well, and so now I want to see need, that movie. Well, what you need to do, you got to hold up your end of the bargain, which is find some dentist who's always wanted to be a movie producer. <laughs> yeah, you could be, yeah. you know, the next or, or, Don Murphy. Or I was gonna say, or I can go talk to Don Murphy. Don't talk uh, to Don Murphy. <laughs> hey, you know, we have a mutual acquaintance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I just want to say, I just, this reminded me of something. On Don Murphy's, I think now completely gone, erased, and burned uh, website, I actually suggested back when he was talking about doing Watchmen. And I don't think he was a producer on Watchmen, but apparently he was circling, you know, the waters and everything because he did buy up a lot of, he, he did From Hell and a league of extraordinary gentlemen that um, a possible solution to the problem with the ending because the giant squid just wasn't going to fly. Although I liked it, but I, I guess that nobody else did um, was to have them frame Dr. Manhattan as the reason that New York is destroyed. And, I, and every single person who replied to that said that I was an idiot and stupid and should die. So, and it may not have actually been a great idea, but it was the idea they went with in the movie. So yeah. 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 Interesting. about them apples. Well, yeah. So, so I just wanted to give a little bit of background and hopefully this isn't boring to, uh, to, to you guys or the people who are, are listening, but I always like to do deep dives into some of these, uh, these characters or, or the actors that portray them. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned Paul, the, the accents, because 
you know, Jeff Amata, he's from Inglewood, California, and Al Young is from St. Louis. So these guys, uh, they, they're usually cast as like that. They have a lot of like, if you go through their, their, their credits, they have a lot of, you know, names that are like, you know, Asian gang members, stuff, stuff like that. But, but yeah, so, so Al Young as Louis, uh, let's actually uh, talk about him a little bit. So, Al Young has, uh, he, I mean, he's kind of a legend. He's like Bill said, he's kind of that guy from the nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually has 35 stunt credits, including films that we mentioned earlier, they live and escape from LA. And, uh, he actually has, cause he does have like a lot of kind of speaking roles because, you know, he's a stunt man who can actually act. So, uh, he has 75 acting credits and those actually include escape from LA and, uh, and also last action hero and then uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, and then Lethal, yeah, he was in the Lethal Weapon movie. So, yeah, he's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, sadly, he actually hasn't done a lot of stunt work because he uh, he had a stroke in 2005. Oh, basically, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, I will say, apparently, he still does uh, He still does conventions. And, you know, oh, he seems like man, a really, will, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say. I will buy his headshot for sure. He's, he's, he seems like a really cool guy. I will actually watch some mm-hmm. interviews with him from like the last couple of years. And, uh, yeah, he seems like a really nice guy. Um, he actually, uh, again, John Carpenter reference, uh, I found an interview with him where, uh, he said that, uh, John Carpenter was like one of his favorite people to work with, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and then Jeff Amata, who is kind of, kind of a fascinating career that he had. He plays Huey in this movie. But uh, he's he has like t- God I, I wrote down uh, 200 stunt credits. Apparently his first movie was uncredited stunts on Blade Runner. Uh, he was in First Blood Part Two, Blade, Fight Club, The Green Mile, and also They Live. And uh, I found a separate interview with him where he said one of his best memories was working with John Carpenter. So and he also has some acting credits in like Escape from L.A., Blade, Point Break, They Live, and Chin Chin Chong's Nice Dreams. He also actually did some like second unit direction, which I'm assuming is like on action scenes. But uh, he's done. Uh, he actually he actually had a second unit director on this movie, and then uh, also on Vampires and Village of the Damned. But kind of interesting thing about him, though, that uh, I found again, I, I found an interview that I thought was kind of cool. Uh, apparently, he was a pre med student, and he actually graduated with a degree. But uh, he he decided to pursue stunt work, and he was like, maybe I'll come back to like the, the medical field at some point. Never did that. So, wow, uh, you know, good. Uh, thankfully enough, because he's you know he's done a lot of great work. So. Anyways, yeah, I don't have, man, I, I don't have a ton of commentary on these guys other than they're totally wasted, and I wish mm-hmm. the whole movie had just been them. No, one one thing to note, they actually I took a look, IMDb, they've appeared in 33 movies together. Oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Really? I th- yeah. 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 Okay, is is Al the guy who tortures well, TV Mel Gibson in, in some movie like, I think, with electricity I think, or something? That oh, might, he's in Lethal Weapon. Yeah, God. Lethal Weapon. Oh, maybe that's it, yeah. Uh, he's yes. in he's in multiple lethal weapons, so yeah. I think maybe maybe lethal weapon four. God, I remember that scene so vividly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so both these guys are kind of legends. Again, I don't really have anything to say about them other than um I think honestly, like, if anything, I think that they kinda help like one of the few things that you can say about this movie is that it does have some some good fight scenes. It does have some good stunts. Yeah. So, you know. I think, uh, well, let me put it this way. It has, it has as good fight scenes as most, like, American films from this era did. So. A little goes a long way. I mean, there's there are a few good fight scenes. And then, then there's some scenes, like, uh, when they're uh, one of the one of the many ones where they're fighting a bunch of gangs. It's just a lot of running around. And, or, or uh, like, the, the big final confrontation. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh we, is, is, does that deserve its yeah, own segment? Because it's just... No. I mean, we're building... Yeah, such listen, as it is. Every movie of this type 
is the whole point is to build up to the big, big final confrontation. You know, the chips are down, the long dark night of the soul, everything, everything's going, going badly for our heroes, but somehow, somehow, by God, they pull it together. They, they managed to, to make the two medallions come together. And now they've got the power. Now, now they've got enough power that they can take on the bad guy, but victory is by no means assured. And yet, because they're the heroes, they do triumph. Okay, like none of that happened. This <laughs> they just beat up Robert Patrick, which didn't well, seem it, to made him slap really... himself. Yeah, made well, him slap and, and, himself. <laughs> well, well, but again, also the other thing is he he doesn't like transform into anything really cool. He transforms into just two guys in masks. Yeah. yeah, which was like, you know, you're, I was expecting it to be, you know, I don't know, a giant T-Rex. Oh, wait, wrong movie. Right, right. Um, but, you know, something. You expect him to be something. You know, you had Adobo Bobobo or whatever the hell his name is. <laughs> so you're expecting some sort of big giant, a giant Robert Patrick or something. Right. Ooh. Just two guys in masks that were like, and the lamest fight. And then, yeah. and, and then you know, Alyssa Milano saves the day by turning the lights on. Which they still never really explain why he was sensitive to light, and he's only yeah, sensitive to light sometimes. Just reasons. Yeah, sometimes. But anyway, yeah, and then yeah, and then it's like, and then because I wrote down, I was like, "What kind of ending is this? What the hell?" I mean, at least they had him arrested at the end, I guess. But, were, were, so were the were the the guys that, that he turned into the two guys? Were they also like characters from the game? Uh, um, good uh, question. Good question. <laughs> uh, yes, because uh, otherwise. I mean, yeah, they I weren't very imposing. The State Puff Marshmallow Man is frankly scarier than those two guys. So, yeah, I, I just assumed that it was they were characters from the game. Was was Adobo Bobo Bobo? Was he a character from the game? Because he looked like he, something from a bad video game. Yeah, he is. He is. He's, okay. he is one of the one of the bad guys. Okay, and he has like this big swole guy. Swole. Yeah, I, yeah, I actually uh, thought it was. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say uh, a guy who. You realize, looking at him, there's no way that he can actually wash his back. Doesn't strike me as a great threat. I mean, yeah, he's got muscles, but he's got very little maneuverability. And um, you know, and also his his head is fleshy looking. Like I think a good a good smack would actually scramble things up badly for him. He he looks like he's got goiters. I mean, it's <laughs> and yet he is one of the characters I like because because of that one scene. I'm always a sucker. For the monster looks in the mirror and realizes he's a monster, and a tear goes down his cheek. Uh, that uh, that gets me every time. So he's got that. Yeah, I think I think the one thing about the uh, like uh, Kokushuko is like I, I actually kind of like the effect they do where he kind of you know turns into this like shadowy character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Um, it's, it's yeah, sometimes yeah, kind of yeah, sometimes it's kind of lame because it almost looks like he's like turning into like a piece of paper, but then like. <laughs> Yeah, but then other times it does kind of have like this. They do this kind of cool shadow effect. So I actually, oh, I, I like it like, when he chokes Michael Berryman. I thought yeah, that was actually kind of yeah. that was a good. Way to, that was cool. That was pretty cool. Yeah, when, and just when Michael Berryman was in the Thunderdome. Yeah, props for Michael Berryman. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Berryman's yeah, like, another always welcome presence, and and one of the sweetest guys you will ever meet. If you ever get a chance to speak to him at a convention, I think he still does conventions. He's getting kind of up there in years but a genuinely nice man and, and one of those people who, yes, yeah, scary looking, but uh, just a gentle soul. I don't think anyone has ever said a bad word about Michael Berryman. Yeah. Michael Berryman, of course, uh, playing the maniac leader in this movie, which uh, is maybe a good segue to the gangs. If we want to talk about them just a little sure. bit. 
then we can we can talk about uh yeah so michael berryman i actually kind of uh because i forgot he was in this movie and when i saw his mm. name in the credits i was like oh yeah that's that's great we're gonna get to see michael berryman and then he's just in that one scene and then he gets shadow yeah. choked so that was kind of disappointing but um yeah do we want to talk about some of the other characters do we want to talk about Bo Abobo, which is how you pronounce that name, played by Niels Allen Stewart, who was kind of a staple of '80s and '90s action movies because he had a he's also a stunt man. He has like 150 stunt credits, but he was also in movies uh, with like speaking roles or acting roles. He was in The Shadow, The Mask, Fist of the North Star, Under Siege Two, Bloodsport Two, and The Scorpion King. So he's been in like, well, what's a ton weird of is- action movies. What's weird is, you know, he's a big guy, but apparently he didn't play the, the costume version of the, right. the mutated version. That was Henry Kingy. Who's uh, in Predator 2 in a very memorable role. Yeah, yeah. so it's just kind of weird, like, why they... Because it's not like he was a small guy. Yeah. So why... he Maybe he just didn't like the latex? I don't know. <laughs> well, so. it's probably... I think it's because, he, like, part of it was probably because he was hired because he is, like, a stunt guy. And that, honestly, mm-hmm. like, when he gets changed into the the mutated version or whatever, like he didn't really do a lot of stunts. He can barely move. So yeah, (laughs) (laughs) like now I will say that this is kind of like, this is one thing that I did take a note that this is uh, kind of a video gameism, but I'm kind of, I was kind of disappointed because they never really fight him in either kind of form and he's kind of totally wasted, but it is kind Mm -hmm. of a video gameism where you have a character who's like a mini boss and then you defeat that character. Like, you you know, throw into a vat of toxic waste or something to beat him. But then he comes back in like the mutated form later and he's like stronger. So I thought it was, I was like thinking that I was like, Hmm, that, that actually seems like kind of a clever, like use of a video game mechanic. Unfortunately, they, they just don't really do anything with him. So I was kind of disappointed yeah. by that. I he will does say, drive the car at the end. He does drive the car. The, uh, the makeup <laughs> in this movie, I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, Cause I actually, even though it's kind of weird and grotesque, I actually do like the makeup for him just because it's so bizarre. Like it's, it's like body horror, mm-hmm. like levels. of. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is kind of weird looking. Yeah. And, and out of place for the rest of the movie, you know, it would be great for a Ninja Turtles movie or a Guyver movie, but it, it's why don't we see a whole bunch of those things? Where the, where did all this money go? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually kind of interesting that you mentioned that though, because this movie seems like a like weird mashup of a bunch of other movies to me. Okay. So you have like, yeah, it, that feels like a Ninja Turtles thing. And then speaking of the gangs, you have uh, John Asher as I think he's just credited as smart ass Mohawk, but I had kind of had to do a <laughs> double take because I was like, that looks like uh, that looks exactly like, I can't remember the character's name, but you know, the guy from escape from New York, like the Duke's like henchman who has like the Mohawk. No, okay, oh, you guys. It's, no. it's not. It's not ringing a bell, but it's been a while since I watched this Escape from. Okay, LA. well, it reminds me. It looks exactly like that, and and even though this movie came out before Escape from LA, it does. It does remind me of Escape from New York, and then it also kind of has like the the RoboCop thing going with like the uh, the you know the militarized police fighting like the, mm-hmm. the super gangs. So it's just this movie is like a weird like mashup of a bunch of other things that they kind of crammed together, and it never oh. really works. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, and the the warriors. The war, come on. You have the, yeah. the clown yeah, gang, yeah, and you yeah. have the the postman gang. It was it, to me. I was like, okay, this is this part's obviously influenced by the warriors. Yeah, exactly. And, and they even have you know, see, Robert Patrick is like Cyrus. He's trying to bring them all together. No, Can no, you man. dig it? Just stop. Can you dig it? But well, you know, 
I actually, I actually, uh, thankfully, there's a scene where Alyssa Milano pulls out her her little uh, PDA, and it actually lists all the all the gangs on it. So that's very. Yes. I helpfully wrote those down, and so we have. The, them. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah I have, have a them? screenshot of it as well. Oh yeah, go ahead. And we have the post. We have the Mohawks who are worth. Uh, it's a little fuzzy. Was it eight, three thousand, eight thousand? The Mohawks, the Postmen, the Maniacs, the Geeks, and the Clowns. Did, what did you have? Did you have mm. any other ones? Zach? Yeah, no, yeah, no. Those those are the those are the ones that they show. So, I yeah. So, <laughs> it's it's a it's a really weird. Like I, I get some of these. Like I get the Mohawks. I get the Maniacs. But then the post. <laughs> The postman, <laughs> just guys. Which I was, I was kind of wondering, like, okay, is this a gang made up of guys who like stole a bunch of postman outfits and mailbags, or is this a gang made up of actual postmen? That was I my think it is actual is postmen. Probably yeah. More okay. Likely, yeah. Nice. And they, and if that were an actual gang, that'd be a gang I'd be terrified of. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, because they can, uh, they can stop your mail oh. from getting there. So, just yeah, the, yeah, the true, the true terror. So yeah, I don't know. I I thought that was kind of weird. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's it's. I mean, God, it's so obviously like a warriors kind of ripoff thing. I don't know. It just it feels like that's one of the, the the weird things about this movie. It's just a mashup of all these other kind of properties. But like everything they take, that everything they take from all these different movies, like those movies did it better. So I don't know. It's just nothing really works in the in the like after you kind of put them in a blender. So. Except mm-hmm. I kind of like the clowns and the, the the I like the the clowns in this one better than the the, the mimes in in the warriors because the clowns in this one have like big hands which was pretty great and the, <laughs> I, I think the postman would be a great addition to the warriors like if they do a warriors reboot then to have a postman uh, group I think that would work really well but but that's just me but yeah generally you're right <laughs> yeah so boy I, I didn't mean to kill it there Woo. <laughs> No, um, I, I was actually looking it up. I, I guess the guy, the guy in, uh, the the guy in Escape from New York doesn't actually have a mohawk. I was wrong. He just has like really, like uh, really tall hair. So never mind. I still think they're kind of ripping off Escape from New York, though. So I'll 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 stay with that uh, that comment. Oh no, most most certainly. But then Escape from L.A. tried to rip them off and did it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but then again, Escape from L.A. had Steve Buscemi, so. I said, yeah, I call it a toss-up. <laughs> I also had, uh, also had Bruce Campbell as the Surgeon General of Beverly Hills. So, oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I don't know anyone else we want to talk about in this movie. I, I actually we didn't mention her, but I did want to mention Julian Nixon as Satoria Mata, who basically exists just to kind of, I guess, explain, give like a uh, backstory right. or exposition, and, and then, then die. die, and then, yeah. and then, yeah. and then there'd be a floaty head at the end. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know. Is there any? Is there anyone else that kind of jumped out at us that we want to yes. talk about? Okay. Yes. Oh, I think Renee had mentioned earlier. George. We've got George Hamilton and and v- Vanna White as themselves as yeah. newscasters, and Andy Dick as the Andy weatherman. <sighs> and and to me, caster. actually, that that whole section it it jumps into another thing of the the you were saying films that it they seem to rip off, and this was clearly a, a to me it was a. a rip off of robocop yes the the parody sections of the news the robocop but i had to say at least i was like oh well that's actually you know i thought that was kind of interesting at least um but they were going for funny so interesting is kind of a fail 
<laughs> true, true. It was well, it was pretty half-assed. And and again, if we yeah. were going for if we're going with my premise of oh, it should be for twelve-year-olds, they'd be like, huh? It'd be yeah. completely lost right. on them. You know. Well, th- there's probably some twelve-year-olds who do know about Andy Dick, but that's a sad story. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Anyways, uh, I, yeah. Speaking of jokes that are, I guess, not for kids, though, I did notice that one of the, one of the channels that they keep cutting to uh, is Channel sixty nine. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, twelve year olds. So, I, I don't, I don't have anyone else, but I know that Renee dug up a really, really deep cut, and I'm usually, I usually Uh-oh. pride myself on these deep cuts, but I think Re- Renee actually outdid everything that I've come up with. <laughs> so, do you want to talk a little bit about that, Renee? I will. Um... <laughs> so there's a commercial in the movie and when i saw it it really threw me off so imagine it's sunday and you're watching the radiators the raider glad the radiator the raider gladiators game on tv when suddenly the house collapses how embarrassing but it's not your fault it's everybody's fault that's why you got to go to jack city I don't know what the commercial was about. I thought maybe it was like a weird Mario parody because the one guy is like yeah. a little yeah right. The other guy's like tall. No, um, I mean I I still don't know what the reference is. But these two gentlemen uh, were from a T TLC show called The Furniture Guys. <laughs> I still have no idea who they know or how they ended up on this spot but yeah the furniture guys ed feldman and joe lario i believe is how you pronounce his last name there you go yeah that's a that's a good one i don't i don't think i even would have found that so yeah that's a that's a good deep cut and we we are if the if the furniture guys are listening right now we'd love to interview you about how you got involved with the double dragon movie so please hit us up yeah well, and um, I wonder if, if Jack City, I mean, part of that is setting up the whole that you have to jack up the, the buildings and yeah. the features into the other scene. But it was also called Jack City as like a, a reference to New Jack City, which was from like a few years before then. Or maybe not. <laughs> Never mind. I feel like it probably wasn't. But I don't know, because I think that there's like we said, there's so many things that are outdated cultural references that they thought they were being clever with. Yeah. I could easily see them say, oh, wait, New Jack City. Yeah, New Jack City was 1991. So I could see them saying, yeah, hey, sure. and then. Which is obviously uh, a reference that all the 12 year olds would get. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. New Jack City. I right, love that movie. Right. I love yeah. Mario Van Peebles. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Is there anything else we want to talk about uh, cast wise or character wise before we move on? Yeah. Well, I got a couple other things. Uh, I guess uh, we'll we'll move on to our next. Oh no, actually, sorry. I do have. I do have another deep cut. Uh, I was. I was. I. I never would have cut if I didn't go and actually look at IMDb. So uh, one of the the guys uh, when the when all the kids go into the like the uh, the the building and they're they're like skating around the atrium. So uh, you know to to distract the security guys. One of the security guys that you see, I think you see like a close-up of him, uh, played by David Early. And I think he was just credited as security man. And I actually didn't recognize him, but uh, went back and looked at his IMDb. Uh, He played Mr. Berman in Dawn of the Dead, which 
if you don't know who that is, uh, at the beginning of the movie, there are the two guys. Mm-hmm. There's like the the white guy with a beard and like the black guy with a mustache, and they're like arguing on the TV show. He's yeah, he's yeah. the he's the black guy with a mustache. That's David oh. Earl. Yeah, yeah. So I I was like I saw that. I was like, oh man, that is a that is a really cool connection because any any connection to Dawn of the Dead is cool to me. So I think that's it in terms of cast. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, and this is actually not because I actually noticed it at all or, or i guess i should ask you guys did anyone did anyone notice the music at all in this movie oh my god there was music yeah okay all i know so, is the the ending song made me want to like claw my face <laughs> off oh man which one was that I actually it was didn't... the one like together forever oh. always or something or like yeah it was just I was actually going to send it to Paul because I was going to send it to him and be like, hey, you should sing this for the episode. But oh I pulled God. it up and I was literally like, no, I don't want this in my YouTube feed. <laughs> you don't want this in your I history. literally couldn't bear to listen to it again. It was so oh. bad. I'll oh, find man. it because I, I just it looked now. it up. I think the name it. of the song is All Together Now. That's it. Farm. All Together Now. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's so terrible. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I yes. think I was drifting into a diabetic coma by that point, so I, I don't really remember it. <laughs> oh man, there there is some pretty bad like '90s music on the soundtrack. There's a Coolio song as well, but uh, oh. actually, yeah. I, so so this is not something I did. I did not like the the soundtrack, the the music or the score for the movie did not even like remotely register for me. Uh, so I wasn't even gonna write anything about the music, but I'm I'm glad I looked at the people who did the score because this is actually. Uh, one of the guys who did the score, his work may actually be more familiar to more people uh, than like in like currently than any other person involved with this film. I'm not I'm not kidding. So uh, two, two the two people uh, credited with the score for this movie are Tolga Katis and Jay Ferguson. Now Tolga Katis uh, didn't really find a ton on him. Apparently he wrote the hit single "Sending All My Love" for a band called Linear, which peaked at number five. On the Billboard Top 100. Send That's all I got. All him. my lo- can you sing it? Uh, yeah, sending all my love to you, baby. I'm sending all my love. I'm actually making that up. I have no idea. What to say. I, oh, I, I, I was totally it. convinced. <laughs> it would surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, I would have bought it. That was yeah. plausible. Okay. Okay. It's but, a nice, nice beat, and you can dance but, to it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. Um, okay, but <laughs> I wanted to. Uh, I, I want to talk. I want to talk just for a little bit about Jay Ferguson, who I, the name was not familiar to me at all, but uh, his work is familiar to every single person probably in the country. Um, so uh, he was a he was a I guess a musician uh, back in the '60s. He's a founding member of a band called Spirit in 1967. They had a they had an album that I guess peaked at like number 22. Uh, he also had a, uh, a hit single uh, that I did not write down the name of it, but he, I guess he had like a solo career. Uh, that song, that song has been playing in a couple other movies. Again, God, I wish I'd written the name, but it's been, I think it was in like Anchorman and stuff when I looked at him. But okay, so here are the two things that blew me away about Jay Ferguson, though. Again, I apologize. This has nothing to do with Double Dragon, but uh, just, 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 I guess his involvement with this movie lets me talk about him. So first of all, uh, so he wrote the song entitled Pictures of You for 1984's The Terminator, which, uh, first of all, I did not know that The Terminator had an original song at all. Um, so I thought that was kind of an, an interesting kind of connection. Uh, but uh, he would also go on to compose the theme music for uh, a little TV show you guys may have heard of called The Office. Oh. He composed the theme song to like the American version of The Office. So that's why I'm like, 
his his work is probably better known than just about any other human being because I think yeah. everyone knows the theme song to The Office, which I thought was kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, so his involvement in this movie didn't register at all. <laughs> didn't even didn't even notice the music, but kind of blew my mind that he the same guy who wrote a, an original song for the Terminator also wrote the music for The Office. So that's my that's uh, that's a little trivia for for all you trivia heads out there. Well, if, is there anything else we want to talk about, or do we want to move on to our next section? tomorrows of yesterday where we hit on a little bit of the uh the past history in this movie and talk about what they got right and what they got wrong okay let's let's go down the list i don't know if you guys wrote anything because i I don't know if i really told you that we were going to do this section so i apologize (laughs) but we'll 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 go down the list here and see it see if you guys have anything to add um okay so this is where we're going to kind of rate the uh the authenticity of these things and remember this was filmed in 94 uh, set, set in 19, uh, 2007, uh, 2007, excuse me, which is always kind of funny to me when they ha- people have the audacity to like set a film yeah. 13 years in the future and be like, everything's going to be totally different. <laughs> um, so let's see, the big one hit LA in the year 2000. I don't think that happened. Didn't happen, but we, like I said, we did have a mega, we had a tsunami and a bunch of stuff in 2001. So, you know. Okay. Wait, did that hit mm-hmm. LA though? No, it didn't hit L.A., but it, it hit a bunch okay. of Indonesians, so. but they count. You know, I mean, just uh, that is so true. They, were, they, they yeah. do count. Um, yeah, it was okay. like over 100,000 dead. Oh, that's yeah, true. Yeah, oh, God, way to bring it down. I forgot all of that. Sorry, guys. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. It was on Boxing Day. But, you know, predicting yeah. predicting uh, that L.A. is going to get rocked by a big earthquake is, is <laughs> yeah. evergreen. You could just keep yeah. You know you're going to be right sooner or later. 13 years in the future at any given time. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Okay, moving on. Uh, Madonna apparently in this in this uh, in this timeline had been married to Tom Arnold. I don't keep up with celebrity news. I don't think that happened. Didn't happen. But the fact that Madonna is still uh, a significant pop culture figure that far in the future, giving credit for that's that. A, that's a good point. Yeah, because she was two thousand seven. Yeah. yeah, I would have predicted she would have been forgotten by then. And and I, <laughs> although I'm not a huge Madonna fan, I, I have a tremendous admiration for anyone who can actually last that long in yeah. rock and roll. Because, man, that's that's rare. That's pretty dang rare. Yeah, very true. Very true. But I don't uh, think so she married Tom Arnold. And, and Yeah, Tom Arnold. <laughs> they were just probably. dating. <laughs> Would that have been worse than being married to Sean Penn, though? Uh, wait, Tom Arnold was married to Sean Penn? Yeah, you didn't realize that? that was, it's, uh, it's been fairly recent. Huge scandal. Oh, good for them. Um, I hope they're happy. Yeah. <laughs> I would. Crazy I don't think kids. I'd want to be married to either of them. Okay. Uh, let's go. To, let's continue down the list. Uh, apparently, in this in this timeline in 2007, we're gonna have cars that burn trash, and we can just kind of like take handfuls of trash and put it put them in an incinerator to power mm-hmm. our cars. Uh, I def- absolutely love that, actually. I, yeah, and I love the yeah, fact he throws a- the cheese whiz in. Yeah, and it, and it, and it, and it yeah. turbo boosts nitro. It. Yeah. Yeah. Now we don't have that, but we do have cars that'll burn uh, French fry oil. So I mean, there is oh, that. Okay. So, so, I, just, I just want to point out that if they have somehow ma- actually mastered nuclear fusion to the point where you can just throw trash into a device that can power a car, they could have rebuilt rebuilt LA in a weekend. I <laughs> yeah. mean, they basically Bill, have Bill. free energy. The dream of human civilization since the dawn of time: free energy. They have it, and it hasn't done a damn thing. No, Bill, you're thinking of of Back to the Future. This they didn't mention that this was fusion. They just were dumping shit in there and it was catching on fire. Yeah. Well, I so just want was... to point out now, in real life, if you dump, <laughs> if you set shit on fire, the amount of energy you get is not enough to turn the wheel even once. But but you know, all I'm saying is, you know, maybe that maybe they 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 kind of perfected that. 
I don't know. Have you ever thrown a can of cheese whiz into a into a flame? See how far you get with that. Oh, Appar- so apparently, the way the car works <laughs> is kind of like the Batman thing, where the flame comes shooting out the back. So it's actually a rocket car. Yeah. That burns cheese whiz. Yeah. <laughs> Are we overthinking this? Is it possible? Uh, probably, but I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna give this one a half true for the the uh, the French fight oil thing. So yeah, I'm gonna okay. be yeah. True. I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be nice and give it a half. Uh, let's see. There apparently there was a uh, football team called the Gladiators, which I don't know anything about sports or football, but I don't think there's ever been a team called the Gladiators. No, but I'll bet the Redskins are regretting that they didn't come up with that one. That's a pretty <sighs> yeah, good name. Uh, actually. There you go. Should it? Yeah. Not the, not the not the the Commanders. <sighs> okay. Is that what they is that what they rebranded as? Yes. Yeah. You didn't know. They, yes. No, yeah, no yeah. again, I know nothing about sports. Years so of thinking the, about a name, and that's what they came up with: the Commanders. Apparently, the Cleveland Gladiators were an arena football team from two thousand from nineteen ninety seven to two thousand seventeen. So they, oh. they weren't major league football, but they were okay. They were arena football. So okay, I didn't realize arena football lasted that long. Yeah, we'll give we'll give yeah. it a half a half a half credit there. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, um, back to the car stuff. Where you, do you have another car one? Because I do have another car. No, one go one ahead, take too. it away. Uh, Bobadobadobado has a self driving car. He, yeah. he puts the little radar thing oh. and the car starts driving. So we don't, you know, it depends upon who you ask. I mean, Tesla says they do, but the people who've driven their self-driving cars under trucks say <laughs> Tesla's not quite, you know, there yet. But, you know, Badobadobadobado doesn't really go terribly far with his anyway. We do have, like, well. radar-assisted ones. So I think it's worth at least a half, if not three quarters. Yeah, I guess so. I guess a good of a half. Now, I will say, t- total uh, chant tangents since you mentioned that i watched a video of someone trying to use the self-driving feature in a tesla it was fucking terrifying the, yeah. the number of times they have to like grab the wheel or slam on the brake it's terrifying <laughs> anyways oh, this is gonna end in tears blood. <laughs> well it already but has for blood. a lot of people for some people yeah uh yeah another thing uh, that actually kind of goes along with that though that i that i noted uh he has basically he has a gps which is oh. actually very accurate so I'm going to give both of those things a, uh, a full credit, I think. So, yeah, um, technology-wise, I, I think that they, they got a couple things right. Um, anything else that, uh, other than, I guess, Andy Dick uh, being allowed on television? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Any, yeah. Um, uh, um, yeah, the, um, Alyssa Milano's brother has a VR headset. Yeah, oh, and he and and it's well, it it doesn't look it's it's rather large, but it doesn't look too much different from like modern VR headsets, really. Yeah, um, I'll I'll give it a half, but I, I will say this was I mean set in two thousand seven and VR in two thousand seven was probably yeah. worse than they show in this movie. But yeah, we'll give it a eh, we'll give yeah. it a yeah. Well, I don't know. They had you know they had kind of shitty VR helmets in in the nineties even. Oh yeah. I remember going to an arcade and playing yeah. a really shitty game with like a pterodactyl. And you spent five dollars for like three minutes, yep. and like, yeah, yep, I remember those days. Yep. Uh, anything else? Any yeah, they they uh, they defunded the police and uh, lived to regret it. So one hundred percent spot on. <laughs> no, no, I actually, I'm gonna actually, I was, I was actually thinking the exact same thing, but I have to push back against that because the police, if you notice the vehicles they're driving, they're all driving like military grade Humvees. And I was like, so the police, they, they haven't been defunded. They just don't want to do their job. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> Listen, when, when, when uh, you do, you, 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 the, the media comes to you and the questions they're asking is like, you know, 
maybe the gangs are, you know, the good guys here. Maybe, maybe you guys are too rough on them. They may have had rough childhoods or something. Yeah, I'd stay home too. But yeah, they, yeah, sure, they've got Humvees. But the Double Dragons guys, and, and like, where do they get the money to have any kind of proton-powered car? Uh, all they do is what? Lose fights it's, it's in, a, prize in a nightclub? Money, yes, prize, prize I, money from karate tournaments. They don't look like they're exactly rolling in dough, but they, they've got a sweet car. Um, oh, see, so I, the idea of, a, I thought took it that it was like a piece of shit car that they had yeah, to resort to burning. Yeah. Like everyone I mean, seriously, else could, the, could purchase the, gas, but they had to resort to burning trash to get going. The, the idea that uh, there are no go zones in cities that you probably would be smart to not go after a certain amount of time, depending on some of the cities, that's sadly accurate. Well, I think in this though they had actually they had actually signed a treaty with the gangs. Yeah, yeah. the police had um, a treaty. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll t- listen. You know what? Not, not to get political about this, but oh. haven't we really done that? I mean, the gangs no. in some of these inner the gangs in some of these inner cities. Everyone knows who they are, and they are the source of in Chicago at least of the vast majority of murders, robberies, rapes, crimes. I mean, all these things together. We know who they are. They're operating with impunity. And nothing's being done. So maybe there isn't an official piece of paper somewhere with everyone's signature on it. But it seems like there's an understanding. So what you're, what you're saying, Bill, is that you'd basically <laughs> be in support of a, a Koga Shuko coming in and taking control. That's what I'm hearing. Uniting I, you know, the gang? I don't know, you want to unite the gang? How, no, I don't Are know you how a gang you fix something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know how you fix something that's so ingrained <laughs> at this point. If they, if they start enforcing the laws against the gangs in Chicago, there'd probably be open warfare. Well, see, you that's know. why you need a. That's why you need a group like Alyssa Milano's group. That's a yeah, true. Yeah, they were going to do you know. real well. I bet the Crips and the Bloods would be shaking <laughs> in their boots if these oh, if these guys come rappelling down the walls. Oh, maybe they got to do they some parkour on there. them. Yeah, exactly. They don't. They, they don't know they're there until it's too late. Yeah. They have graffiti jackets. Yeah. And <laughs> and. And they're winning the hearts games. and minds of the kids by having there you know the arcade machines in there. Which you, you did see the double dragon gangs. machine in the movie, right? Yes. Movie gangs, which are they're they're multiracial, but they all have something in common that they dress like like clowns or something, and they never use guns. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. In every way, the exact opposite of a real gang. The, the clown having the clowns is like having their colors. You know, that's the you know. <laughs> so it's it's like you know the Crips and the Bloods have their colors, and you're wearing your colors. You're wearing your clown yeah, but colors. their colors are like blue and red, and they don't dress in solid blue or solid red because that would actually be marginally cool. They just have like a little <laughs> blue bandana sticking out of their back, and like you know, then they come up to you. It's like, hey, you're wearing our colors. Like, dude, literally blue. I mean, it's there's only like five primary colors. What, what am I supposed to just wear plaid or something? Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, you don't get anywhere with them because they're very hard to reason with. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> before we before we alienate all of our listeners, uh, are, are oh, there yeah, any- yeah, all of our I'm, I want to apologize for all of our listeners who are engaged in gang activity. Probably, you know, they're cutting up some prime heroin, listening to some podcasts. On hey, the radio we don't know what Paul's mom does in her free time. What, uh, what else? I, I gotta yeah, say, true. I gotta say, I, I do was, apologize. I don't know. If I, was, <laughs> if I was working in like a heroin warehouse, cutting heroin all day, I mean, yeah, that would actually be some good podcast listening time. So it would. If, that's true. Yeah, uh, you make anyone, a good point. I mean, look, I re, I listen to podcasts when I'm doing the dishes. Some people listen to podcasts <laughs> where they're cutting heroin. You know, to each his own. <laughs> Um, okay, Any, anything else that we have for predictions that this movie made about the year 2007 that we want to talk about? I got I got one more. 
that uh, we can close with if we don't have anything else that I thought was actually kind of okay. funny, kind of interesting. Uh, so in this movie, they mention uh, Jerry Brown being vice <laughs> yes. president, which mm-hmm. is uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I can't remember the years of his original term, but uh, for, for those of you who don't know, Jerry Brown was the president. Uh, he was the the, the uh, governor of California for for a time, and I think the eighties. Um, so I thought it was kind of interesting, though. So uh, so I looked it up. Brown was actually the attorney general of California in two thousand seven. So he was definitely mm-hmm. not vice president, and he would actually go on to be the uh, the governor again after I think it was two thousand nine, two thousand ten, when he uh, became governor yeah. again. So never vice president. However, I thought it was kind of funny. There was a prediction this movie could have made that would have sounded like a joke. And actually would have been true because when Jerry Brown was attorney general, do you know who who he was attorney general under? Yeah, uh, the governor. Yeah, he was oh, he was no. attorney general when Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor, which is totally a joke they could have made that would have sounded ridiculous and it would have been true. Right, so, right. I thought that was kind and of funny. Know, and do you know who followed him as attorney general of, of California? Oh, no. I actually don't. Kamala Harris. Oh, I was going to say. Oh, no, Harris, no way. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So, I don't... I don't I would have been surprised. I would have been very surprised if this movie had predicted Kamala Harris, but the Schwarzenegger thing. I was like, uh, yeah, that, that <laughs> that's a little bit more likely. Yeah, yeah. He cool. was touted. He was touted <laughs> for a while as as a contender for president, and um, he was just like, kind of flaky. Oh, Jerry Brown. Yeah, yeah. 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 What, what, he got less flaky Mo- as he Mo- got older, though. They called him like Moonbeam. Was that Moonbeam? And and yeah. the Dead Kennedys made a very memorable song about him called California Uberalis, which is still a great punk rock song. Huh. So, yeah. yeah. So there you go. Uh, if you guys don't have anything else, do we want to pass final judgment on this hmm. one? Does this? Does oh. this? Do we feel like this film like accurately predicted anything significant about two thousand seven? We give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down in that regard. Oh, um, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had several half. That's true. We had several half checks on there. So okay, so we'll give it was, it. I think it was how close was? I think it was closer than uh, than it's the closer the than the sisterhood. sisterhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I right. think we need. God, I should come up. I should come up with a, a rating system for this, but I'll do yeah. that next time. Okay, so yeah, we'll give it. We'll give it a partial credit here. It had a couple things that were kind of right, um, but yeah, still, still uh, lots, lots of misses here. Cool. Well, let's move on to our next section, which is uh, legacy and franchise. And I actually kind of wanted to uh, start doing something. I think I started doing a couple episodes ago, but kind of in the legacy, I kind of wanted to talk about how this movie was received when it came out. Because it's always interesting, especially older films, to kind of see like how, how we talk about this movie now and how people talked about it when it came out. So I looked it up. I actually couldn't find this movie on Metacritic. I don't. Maybe I just wasn't searching correctly, but... Does have a thirteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes? Couple, <laughs> oh, couple, couple reviews. Couple reviews. I uh, I pulled out. Actually, believe it or not, I found a I found a positive one and a negative one. So I'm gonna uh, read the negative one first from Rita Kempley of the Washington Post. Uh, says, "Well, cl- well, clumsily paced by first time director Jim Yukich and am- amateurishly acted." The picture does take place against the imaginative backdrop of New Angeles, the urban archipelago formed from the big one, uh, from when the big one crumpled Southern California. And I think that actually tracks with what we were kind of saying that kind of the some of the backdrops and sets were actually pretty good. So um, actually, actually agree with that that snippet um, pretty well. But then uh, one person I don't agree with is Kevin Thomas of the L.A. Times, who at the at the time wrote. Double Dragon is a clever and lively adaptation of the popular video game. 
since a film which has a light humorous touch is fun, and most likely we haven't seen the last of the Double Dragon Lee duo. So speaking of uh, speaking of pro- prognostications, uh, I'm gonna have to give uh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna have to give Kevin Thomas of the LA Times a a, a big thumbs down there because we definitely that definitely was the last we saw of the Double Dragon Lee duo after this movie bombed. Um, <laughs> so yeah, well, like so far, so, so far. far. Oh well, we might well, be coming up with a legacy sequel. So you know, well, uh, it's funny, especially but, after people listen to this podcast, they're gonna be like, oh shit, well, we need to do that. No, no, no. People will not have to listen to this podcast, Paul, because uh, one of the, <gasps> the interviews I was I was I listened to uh, that was I think from like a year or two ago with James Yukich, he was actually talking about he has an idea. He didn't want to talk. He didn't want to really get into it because he didn't mm-hmm. want to like spoil it. And you know, I guess uh, you know he didn't want right. he didn't want to you know jinx it. But he actually did say that he had some ideas for a Double Dragon follow up that sounded like maybe it would actually involve the original cast. So. Yeah, that would kick ass. <laughs> would I would play. love to see Robert Patrick do that. Oh, I think he would. I think he would be totally game for it, though. Yeah, don't you think? I could see Robert Patrick going, "Fuck yeah, that'd be fun." Well, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't think that's gonna happen though. Because speaking of like the oh. the legacy of this one, I mean, like I said at the top, this one kind of bombed when it came out. I think it actually didn't. I should have written down what other movies came out around the same time in '94. But yeah, it it did. I mean, a worldwide box office of four million dollars. And I think other than, like, some people kind of rediscovering it as adults who kind of, like, watched it as kids, I, I think it's pretty much been forgotten. There's There have been no sequels or follow-ups after this. The Double mm-hmm. Dragon franchise, like, actually the game franchise is pretty much, I think, kind of dead. I think they've done some, like, mobile games. But, uh, yeah, so I'm going to I'm gonna say this one has no legacy or franchise. Uh, does anyone want to huh. disagree with that, though? Well, they apparently they did do a spinoff video game of it. Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were yep. correct. I yeah, because yeah, that's the one I actually got on on the main box I've got set up is that's the version nice. of what I've got is the Neo Geo one. I was like, wait, this isn't Double Dragon. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, you are correct. I, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, there was a in 1995 they made a Double Dragon video game that was basically based on the movie, and I think had some of the because I think uh, a Bobo was not in the original games, but I think he was in the 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 adaptation of this. Um, oh really? Because I thought he was. I thought he was in the original game. Oh, was he? I don't know. The, maybe yeah, or maybe it was yeah. Shuko. Maybe it was Koga Shuko who wasn't. I know. Yeah, one of, I don't think Koga Shuko the, wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because so, I think in the original, from what I've read, the the original one, after you beat the boss, whoever the hell he was, then you actually fought each other. So oh. they did that in the movie. So see, that's true. To the, you know, oh, there you go. Very clever. Mm, except they did it in reverse there. So. Yeah. Very true. Oh, it's, it's you know the hero's journey. Cool. Well. <laughs> Do we have anything else that we want to talk about there, or is it time to finally move on to our ratings and ranking, r- rantings and ratings, where <laughs> we kind of give our final thoughts on this movie and we're going to give it a, a final score out of five VHS tapes. Let's do it. Cool. Well, I'm gonna let's see. Mm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to guess based on kind of uh, what we've talked about. I'm going to try to see if I can guess who who, who <laughs> will give it the lowest rating on up to the highest rating. And so let's start with Bill. Why don't you, why don't you give us your final <laughs> thoughts on this one? So yeah, This one might be easy. I've been thinking a lot about this, and I just want to throw out there, if you are cutting heroin while you're listening to our podcast, for God's sake, stop cutting it with rat poison. How did that even become a thing? You're just killing your customers. 
there, there's so many other white powders out there. Baking soda, baking powder, flour, I'm just sugar. I'm just throwing things out there. But why would you reach for the bottle of rat poison? And what am I missing? Anyway, um, oh, back to the movie. One and a half videotapes. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I, I wasn't ill watching it. It was, it was very easy for the mind to wander into other things while watching it. But it's not, it's not a, a movie that that uh, made me feel bad from from it. But I'll never watch it again just because I'm sure there's something else on that would be better. But, you know, okay, it's it's inoffensive fluff. If someone told me, man, I remember watching that movie when I was a kid, and I love it, and I still love it today, I'd be like, yeah, you know, I got I got shit that I like, too. I understand that. There's nothing. This is just a, a nothing movie. I, I mean, I, you know, compare it to uh, Mario, you know, Mario Brothers, that's just so really weird and crazy and over the top that it's it's compellingly watchable, even if it's not terribly good. This is just sort of mediocre 90s stuff. Um, so, you know, eh, eh, da, da, da. look, it's not the worst movie I've watched lately, but, um, yeah, it kind of, it kind of brings the whole thing of why, why are video game movies generally so bad? There's no, and, and you know what? I don't have an answer to that because here's the thing, double dragon, right? There's no story in the, in the video game. That's an opportunity. Any story you come up with is perfectly fine because there has to be a story in the movie. So therefore you're not, it'd be worse if there were a story in the video game and it was boring and dumb and you were, you know, tied to it, but there's not. So they could have come up with anything. And I'm a little surprised given the, the level of talent in the writers and everything that they didn't come up with something better. But having said, said that, we all know that the writers their names may be on the credit, but how much of what they did is actually there on the screen is totally open for debate. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Just it's maybe if I'd seen this. No, in the nineties, I was in my thirties, so I no, I would have. I would, no, I would. Sorry, only I think only people with nostalgia and Paul, but Paul <laughs> eats a lot of sugar. Yeah, people well, only only when we're doing these. People, yeah. people, people with nostalgia and pure, uh, unfiltered corn syrup coursing through their veins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, one and a half, one and a half tapes. That's mine. All right. Uh, well, let's see. Let's go over to Renee and uh, let's see what your final thoughts on this one are. Uh, hello. So, it's funny. I've I'm in the same boat as Bill. I've just seen so many really bad movies recently. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it kind of makes this one look a little bit better in comparison. Um. However, I will give this two tapes, uh, two dragons, if you will. Um, it, you know, kind of similar sentiment again to what Bill said. It's certainly not the worst thing I've watched. Certainly isn't the best thing I've watched. There wasn't too much over the top nostalgia for me. Um, except for, you know, just sort of like maybe the, the clothes and just, you know, the clothes and hair kind of stuff, but it really wasn't too, like, in your face for me. Um, the whole, you know, Double Dragon in itself, like, you know, it's cool. But again, you know, as a kid, I was much more attached to, say, the Super Mario Brothers or even Duck Hunt. If they made Duck Hunt into a movie, I probably would have enjoyed that. So, um, yeah, two rewound videotapes. Nice. 
didn't want to pay that uh, that fee. I did not. Store. I've paid enough. <laughs> you paid enough just by having to watch this movie. Yeah, so. yes. <laughs> yeah. And I watched through all the credits. I listened to the whole damn credit oh song. Oh my god. Oh jeez. Uh, oh. Yeah. Someone so owes me. <laughs> oh god, it's probably me. Um, yeah. So I will. I will double your salary for this episode. <laughs> Thank you. <if> that helps. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I've already messed up because I thought Renee was. I'm actually kind of surprised by the two videotapers, but I suppose I'll actually go next because uh, obviously I know where my score kind of kind of lays here. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna give this one one. I, I was actually kind of debating between one and a half and two. I think I actually landed on. I'm gonna give this one one point seven five. VHS tapes because I got almost all the way to the end and then I I didn't want to listen to the theme song so I stopped it or I didn't want to listen to end credit song uh, and then I forgot to rewind it but yeah I mean like I think Bill hit the nail on the head like this is a fairly inoffensive film but uh, I think the thing the thing that really makes me want to give it any score whatsoever is the fact that there are actually some pretty interesting kind of production values here like I said I think a lot of the like the set design and the production design is kind of interesting for like in a you know 90s kind of low budget way I think a lot of the makeup effects are actually pretty impressive and you know yeah we didn't talk a whole lot about it but actually I think the mat work in this movie is actually really good like whenever they show the city in the yeah. background like the destroyed city like for for 90s like early 90s mat work uh, I actually think that's pretty impressive. So uh, I know it's kind of offensive that I compared it to Blade Runner, and I apologize for that. But, <laughs> I mean, it is it is actually pretty impressive for the for the time it was made, and yeah, so it doesn't look like complete shit. I was actually totally totally blown away that there's obviously some some real talent there. So yeah, I'm gonna give it 1.75. I you know I watched it uh, for this podcast for the first time in probably you know 20 25 years and i'll probably never watch it again unless we do another podcast about it for some ungodly reason so that's my final score and now let's go to the man that i'm hoping uh gives the uh gives the best review because maybe i can redeem myself here but paul why don't you uh you take it away and give your your sugar infused uh rating of this movie Okay, I just have to specify. I think I, I lost track. It's I think somewhere three around three and a half, maybe four bowls of of cereal. And I'm <laughs> oh, dear I'm God. coming I'm coming down awful hard. Let me just we're almost you. done. We're almost um, done. I promise. The, the the roof on my mouth is actually bleeding, so from the sugar. So, um, uh, where am I? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> the film. Um, yeah. I think what you said, Zach. The the the. Uh, the, you know, I don't know. I was going to say world building, but the details in the production, the, in the in the production design, production values. Yeah, I had I had a note about the the matte painting as as well in my my things. There's a a shot with what is the is it the RCA tower is like in the background and it's being propped up and there's it's just some really nice little details that they that they just leave in the background and don't throw in your face. Um, I like the attempts at satire, and I think really the thing is. It was geared, I, like you said, there was some definitely a dissonance between the two sides of the production, but the director was going for a film for 12-year-olds, and I think it it really hit the mark, I think, for them, you know, with the, the really goofy slapstick nature, the double takes, the the screaming together, all especially like the final, yeah. final scene where they're all three of them realize, oh shit, he's really driving, and like, fuck! And, and he drives off. Well, I don't think they said fuck, but um, <laughs> so it was. I think you know it. It really kind of hit that mark. I, I enjoyed it. Is it a good film? No. Uh, is it a mediocre film? Yes. Um, 
Is it muddled? Yes. Uh, but are there some really neat ideas there? Yes. Is there some thought that was actually given to parts of it? Yes. Could it have used some refinement? Yes. So, um, but all in all, if I was 12 years old and hopped up on sugar, I would have had a freaking ball with this movie <laughs> with my buddies and we would have been like, yay. But of course I wasn't 12 year old at the time, but still I would have been um, long ride about it. I'm going to give it a, a, a good solid three VHS tapes. Um, it, you know, again, yeah. Will I ever watch it again? Probably not, but you know, there you go. If you if you go back in time and you're 12 year old and watching it, uh, you'll have a good time. There you go. That's my 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 drift. How many? So how many did you give it? Uh, three. Three. Yeah. Three VHS tapes. Yeah. (laughs) At least I was. Yeah, I knew you'd give it the high score. I didn't think it would be that high, but I'm impressed. Yeah, three. Because you know what? I had I I didn't. There are times when I watch a movie and I'm like, for, for the podcast, I'm like, can I, can this end? So can this end yet? I'm ready to gouge out my eyes. Oh my God. It's only been 10 minutes. I can't believe <laughs> I've still got another, you know, 70 minutes of this crap. This, it, it went by. I, I was entertained. I was, I was like, this is kind of fun. This is, you know, there's some weird shit. There is some weird shit in there. You know, the, the garbage burning car, the, the strange playland that the power company was running that you know, wherever she, her group was called. What was it? What was it? What was Alyssa Milano's not gang, not terrorist oh, group called? I can't the remember. The power station or something. The power. Yeah. Something the, like wasn't that. it like corp, the something corporation? Power or, corporation. I don't know. Maybe. The power yeah. core. Power core. The power oh. core. Yeah. And you know, they had like that weird green river running through it. Was that supposed to be, I was like, is it is it like Willy Wonka? No, it's not chocolate. Or is it oh. supposed to be toxic waste? I don't know what the it fuck it's supposed waste. to be. Yeah, yeah, which is always good when you have little children playing in there too. So, <laughs> um, you know, and then it, then it had that boat race scene, which was reminiscent of Amsterdam. So I was like, oh, you know, you got me with that. It's an Amsterdam style. That's what boat I said. Chase. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Was, yeah, I loved that. I was like, oh, Amsterdam. Amsterdam. I mean, so obviously. Th- yeah. So that gets you. That gets you at least half a tape. Yeah. So, so there you go. That's because um, my score actually was going to be one point five, but because of the Amsterdam <laughs> oh, scene, I threw okay. that extra half. Yeah. Tape. So really, you would have been right, Zach. I was close. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll yeah. take it. I'll take yeah. it. Uh, well, that gives us, uh, by, if my math is correct here, that gives us an average of two point zero six two five. So just a hair which, over which, two. Which is better than which is better than Diary of the Dead. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember what Diary of the Dead was, but yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think it was like 1.5 or something. I would, I would probably watch this movie again before I watch Diary of the Dead again. So I think that's that's accurate. Yeah. In fact, I think I gave yeah I think I gave Diary a 1.5 or something. So yeah, cool. Well, I think that does it for our coverage of the second ever video game to film adaptation. So hopefully everyone listening has kind of enjoyed our deep dive into all this stuff, the history and making of this movie and kind of our thoughts. And if you tune in next time, you know, this time we talked about double dragons, but next time we're going to have a double feature for you. In fact, it's a, it's a bit of a new format for us that we're going to kind of try out a little bit. And I think we're going to call it the remake redemption because we're going to talk about Hmm. an original film and a remake. We're not going to do necessarily these deep dives, but we're going to kind of compare and contrast and we're going to kind of pass judgment on whether the remake was actually warranted or, you know, how it holds up against the original. And we're going to kick off that feature by doing two classic monster films, 
The Blob 1958 and The Blob 1988. And then Bill will also mention, God, what's the what's the name of the other? Beware the Blob. Beware the Blob. He'll he'll mention how he hates that movie. And uh, yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert. But uh, so, yeah, tune in next time. I actually don't know when that episode is going to drop. It might be two weeks. It might be four weeks. Who knows? But at some point, subscribe on whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And that way you don't have to guess. You can just get a notification whenever it pops up. And uh, yeah, we'll be talking about both those movies. And let's see, where else can people find everyone when they're not listening to this podcast? Paul, is there anywhere else people can find you? Uh, sacked out in a gutter with my, my pancreas <laughs> leaking yeah. out of my body um, after this. Nice. Uh, at this point, not really. Um <laughs> Cool. <laughs> I I don't do anything. Oh, so nice. Well, go. if you see if you see Paul in the gutter, please like call an ambulance or something. He's not dangerous. He just he needs help though. <laughs> so, uh, Bill, how about you? Um, let's see. I I do decades of horror, the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties from GruesomeMagazine.com, and I don't know. Starting to starting to think uh, again about conventions and things. Um. I think you know for better or worse we're getting where life is sort of returning back to normal um i just went through about a covid so i'm feeling kind of immortal right now like <laughs> i can't can't get it again but of course that's only true for a limited amount of time um but yeah you know things things are starting to starting to pick up again i'm looking forward to you know seeing maybe people at conventions cool and, uh, and meanwhile, you? podcasting oh. is safe. So that's that's the good thing. Yeah. Podcasting. Yeah. Podcasting. Listen, I'll tell you, podcasting really has been. I want to thank you guys. Um, without it, God, the last two years would have been horrible. And indeed, the last two years were horrible. But they were significantly less horrible than they would have been if it hadn't been for this creative outlet. And and if any good, and you know, some good always comes from horrible things that doesn't justify them or make them worth having. But I will say, it's it's been great getting back in touch with people and reaching out and you know when we weren't able to do much of anything else at least we could talk so i mean yeah. Bill, if if anything we should be thanking you because we got a story about your online feud with don murphy in this oh. episode oh, okay. oh, online feud if if don murphy if you said my name to don murphy uh. Uh, it would mean nothing uh, unless he's unless he's genuinely crazier than I think he is, and he remembers every slight. And that is a possibility because, man, this I just cannot emphasize. Just there's a few. I'm going to throw a few other people your way who may have their own Don Murphy stories. To me, it, oh, it's please. fascinating that this guy w- was so angry about what Nats in his universe thought about him. But uh, yeah, anyway, if and if you're listening, Mr. Murphy, because maybe. Maybe he has people who just like listen for any time he's ever mentioned and oh. send it his way. That would be totally consistent with what it was like. I mean this all in good spirit. You you've made some cool movies, and even the ones that weren't so cool. What the hell? You made movies, you know. I so. I am I am one hundred percent going to put him in the meta tags for this episode. Oh my god! <laughs> maybe yes. maybe he'll listen. And be like, ah, what are they going to say about me? And I will say, Bill. 
So if 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 someone mentioned your name to Don Mo- Don Murphy, he'd have no no idea who you were. But then if they mentioned Gobot Fan sixty eight, they'd be like, "Oh, that motherfucker!" <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm assuming that was your that was your username yes. on the train. Wow, how did you know Gobot Fan sixty eight? Oh, the humiliation of knowing there were sixty seven other Gobot fans that beat me to the punch on the Don Murphy. Uh, thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> oh, that's that's actually funny. I never, I, I didn't think of that, but like I always tag a lot of the people we talk about in there just because you know if for some reason someone's looking up you know James Yukic or whatever, uh, like I did to research this episode, then maybe they'll, you know, they'll 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 see this episode because of the tags. But it'd be funny if like some cele- or some filmmaker, or celebrity, or producer or something is just like obsessively like do- like listening to all the stuff that people have to say about them, and they they listen to one of these episodes one day. So, anyways. Yeah. Uh, Renee, how about you? You got any side projects to talk about? I have one side project now. It is oh. called Cult of the Cathode Ray, and you can listen Ooh. to it. It's a podcast. It's oh. uh, released on Wednesdays, and it's me, and it's you, and we talk about TV. Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah. It's very entertaining. Uh, people should listen. And how do you spell cathode? That would be like cat and then hoed. Uh, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> Um, I, as always, I'm kicking myself for, for naming it something that no one can pronounce or spell. But uh, if you just look up Cult of the Cathode Ray or go to cultofthecathoderay.com and you can just start typing cathode into the, the Googles and it will autocorrect. But uh, cathode ray is in an old TV for those of you who don't know. So, yeah, every every week we talk about uh, an episode of TV. Actually, yeah, I think I guess it will still be weekly by the time this airs. But uh, right now we are talking about The Walking Dead Season 1. Actually, we just wrapped up. I take that back. We just wrapped up our discussion <laughs> of The Walking Dead Season 1. So you can go find all of that uh, all that coverage right now, and then we're going to be getting into Season 2 in just a few weeks. So if you like The Walking Dead, if you like hearing us talk about movies, then maybe you like hearing us talk about TV shows. I don't know. Go check it out. And uh, like and subscribe, et cetera, et cetera, on that one as well. And on this one, because we have a lot of great content coming up. And if you're just tuning in, you can go back, listen to all of our old content. Like I said, if you're if somehow you found this because we're talking about a video game movie, we also got a great episode on Super Mario Brothers that's probably worth listening to. I know because it's our most listened episode, so I just assume that people like it. So, yeah, that's all I got. Um, I got I got no closing words. I'm I'm out of uh, I'm out of thoughts and. <laughs> Uh, I pulled my back moving furniture yesterday, oh. so I'm gonna oh, go. Man. I'm gonna go lie on an ice pack for a little while, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's gonna be my night. So yeah, uh, goodbye, uh, good night, and uh, remember to rewind those tapes. Good night. Yay! <laughs> my mouth is bleeding. Uh, oh. oh boy! We should have all uh, screamed in unison. Uh, <laughs> we should still do it. Uh, oh, that's ah! true. Oh yeah! Like, ah! Ah! Uh, I do like <laughs> one. I, wait, here we go. Okay. Uh, wait, that means he's driving the car. If they succeed, they're heroes. But if he does, they're history. Watch your step. Time to skin you guys.
T2's Robert Patrick, Scott Wolf, Mark DeCoscos, and Alyssa Milano, Double Dragon. You said it. We don't really have to wear these, do we?